Hey folks, welcome back to another episode of the Third Impact Anime Podcast. I'm your host, Austin, the king of podcasts. And today, we're doing yet another 10th anniversary episode, talking about an anime that came out in 2011, just like we did a couple months ago when we talked about Madoka Magica. And this actually also has a lot of other connections to Madoka that we will talk about a little bit later, but on this episode, we're talking about Fate Zero, and this is, of course, going to be the first time we're really jumping into the massive, sprawling beast that is the Fate franchise, but who is going to uh, fight me in this grail war of a podcast? Uh, Go ahead and introduce yourself, uh, someone that isn't me. We'll go down the list. (laughs) I am Ryan, and I am the king of colds today, and I will fight you for this podcast. And who else do we have? Uh, I'm Sarah. I'm probably the king of minding my own fucking business and not dying in a war. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I'm Will, the king of saber stands. Hmm. This is now, true. Is, this is true. A, a truer statement has never been yeah. said. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Uh, But before we get into our main topic, talking about Fate Zero, uh, we'll just talk briefly about some of the things that we've been up to in the anime sphere uh, and some current events that have been going on. Uh, First of all, I did want to say that as of this recording, maybe two days ago, I did have a chance to go see Macross Plus in theaters, and that was really awesome on multiple fronts. Uh, Front number one is that... um, Macross Plus is pretty rad, and seeing it on the big screen was equally as rad. Um, And it kind of, well, I think everybody is hoping that the fact that um, Macross Plus was able to have a theatrical run, and it seems like the future of Macross in the U.S. might be a little bit more brighter these days than it may have been in previous years Mm -hmm. might really open up the franchise to having a lot more accessibility uh in the u.s um and i know sarah you're a big macross fan but you didn't get a chance to go see the the screening but but what do you think of about all of this like how do you how do you feel about the future where macross might be going Ooh, okay i for one am very excited um macross Delta and Frontier, but probably more so Frontier, are like two of my favorite, favorite series in the whole universe. So, um, yeah, I'm hoping that whatever the next Macross series is, it'll very easily have like, you know, simul subs and dubs and everything that's like, you know, every other series gets uh, now that it's mm. out of the limbo. Um, and yeah, even the music for those series, which is all very awesome, is on Spotify now along with a ton of other anime series music on Spotify, thanks to Japanese record labels being a little bit more open to digital distribution, which I think is pretty good. Um, But yes, I'm Mm -hmm. excited. We shall see. Same. Yeah, me too. I mean, Macross Plus is something that I got into mainly because I'm a really big fan of Shinichiro Watanabe. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's probably the case for a lot of people in the west um especially for people that were not of the generation who watched like robotech and that sort of stuff which is uh, way older than someone like myself um so um 
I, I don't really have that much familiarity with Macross, but I'm hoping that, kind of like you said, it, the, the floodgates can slowly be opened and we can get more of that stuff around here. Uh, I know that Delta... Delta's fairly long in the tooth. Like, it started in, what, like, 2016, but they just put out a movie, like, last year or something? Yeah. I'm not gonna lie, I um, thought you were talking about the COVID variant for a second. Oh, God. No. <laughs> I was Macross like, no, Austin, Delta, that happened in Which, April. ironically, is about a virus. So, oopsie. <laughs> um, yeah, Macross Delta... Yeah, they had a recap-ish movie, and then they had, like, a new content kind of movie over the past few years so that's yeah, still the, going the, the, the next macross will be macross Om- omicron <laughs> i hope not <laughs> i hope not god please that, that would be so dumb and stupid but <laughs> there's a um, there's a mobile game i play and they just added like a new material to like you know surpass the power limit that we originally had and it was it is announced Two days before the new variant was like hitting the mainstream and they're like yeah we're calling this the omnicron material and everyone's like oh god how long is it going to take them to change it oh no oh dear that's that's very bad timing um get get your booster shots kids just go out there and get them that's a good thing for you to do um but yeah seeing my cross plus i mean i will say and i'm not the only one in this camp that had this problem but I did kind of have an issue with the visual fidelity of the film on the big screen. It looked like they were just sort of screening like a DVD rip. Oh, and I'm like, a friend of mine, a friend of mine imported the Macross Plus Blu-ray that they made like years ago in Japan. Like this looks this this looks immaculate. Like this material exists. It's not like it only has an SD version. So mm-hmm. I don't know what Fathom Events was doing only having this particular version. Maybe they couldn't get the HD version from Japan, which would be, I don't know, possible because sometimes Japanese production companies can be super weird about stuff. But, mm-hmm. like, come on, this is your big chance. Like, why show a very, very subpar visual quality movie in your big opportunity to reintroduce Macross Plus to a wider uh, U.S. audience? I I was a little frustrated by that, but... um. But the movie itself is really good. Like it, it holds up. It holds up pretty well. Um, I think um, the music's really weird. Sharon Apple is like a, is like an insane, like killer VTuber, mm-hmm. like AI twenty five years ago. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's it's wild. Like how. That's our future, uh, how, folks. I know it's our present. <laughs> True. Um, uh, but yeah, I don't. I don't really have anything else I want to talk about. Has anybody else been doing any cool anime stuff or any uh, recent announcements that they're excited for? So, I actually kind of have been doing anime stuff uh, in a sense that I applied for eight panels at MomoCon this year, mm. and cool. I've made like three of them. So I've okay. been working on the other five. Um. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And uh, that's. Do you want to give us a sneak peek about some of your topics? Yeah, that's why this is like sort of a loose uh, thing of me working on anime because it really depends on your definition. Because one of them that I'm like sincerely hoping that they accept, it is my favorite title that I've ever come up with, and it's called "Is Mayonnaise an Anime?" And 
I'm basically going as stupid as that one sounds. I actually have like a relatively serious topic for it. Like I'm going to talk about all the shows that like everybody thinks or like talks about and considers is anime like Avatar, The Last Airbender and Ruby for like two of them. And I'll go into like a bunch of others. And then I'll also talk about like, hey, by the way, while we're talking about this, what actually does make anime an anime? And I'm going to be like, well, everyone usually says in Japan. I'm going to be like wrong because most of Jap Japanese anime act like outsources to Korea now. So it's not even made in Japan. And, you know, it's going to be a good old time that people are going to get very mm -hmm. angry at me at. And I can't wait. You also have an opportunity to sort of do that in reverse because you could talk about stuff like Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which yes. was an American production, but most of the animation was done in Japan. So mm. is that an anime? anime? Yes, yeah. Chippendale is the best <laughs> anime. <laughs> and um, not to get too off topic, but I did recently watch for the first time the 1977 um, um, Rankin Bass The Hobbit movie. Oh, and wow. Oh, okay, well, well, first of all, that movie rules. It's extremely good. I haven't so watched good. it in a long time, but like, I remember, it, I remember liking it, but it was also like dated. I mean, yeah, I mean, it, it obviously looks like a movie that's from the seventies, and it's very weird. But um, I, I loved it. I thought it was awesome. It was a great. It you, it really it really showcases how much Peter Jackson fluffed up those <laughs> those the the live action hobbit trilogy you mean but he anyway made that's three beside movies the point when he didn't need to make three movies right i mean you could tell the entire story of the hobbit in like an hour and a half yes and because they did yes. in 1977 anyway um my point was i got to the credits and like most most of the talent that worked on that film was japanese so mm -hmm. uh there's another angle you could go for go from there too so um by the way i yeah. i need to apologize. animation's global I need to apologize mm -hmm. to you, actually, because I lied. I actually have watched something anime-related recently. Oh, okay. Let's hear it. I finally caught up on Castlevania. Oh, oh now listen here. <laughs> <laughs> see, you, done in in Texas, Japan. You see how much I like to you know, you see how much I like to fight about this topic. <laughs> uh, yeah, I can I can tell. Yeah, but well, uh, speaking I actually, of, I actually did enjoy it. It was very good. Speaking of fighting, we do have a Battle Royale anime to discuss. If anybody else doesn't have any updates they'd like to share. I'd rather I'd not like talk about Fortnite if it's all the same with you. Share, right, well, Will. Will's got something. <laughs> so uh, this is kind of one side project I've been doing on my own. But in terms of recent anime for me, I've been going through and watching every uh, Miyazaki film in release order because I had never seen a Miyazaki film before. So sure, I find good. it really interesting to see like how his style is kind of adapted over time. Mm -hmm. um, so far, I've watched uh, Castle of Cagliostro, Nausicaa, and Castle in the Sky. And I believe next is My Neighbor Totoro, I believe. Mm -hmm. uh, that, that would be right. So yep. I'm, I'm very excited. Surprisingly for me, uh, Castle of Cagliostro was uh, my favorite so far. And I've never watched any uh, Lupin either. Mm -hmm. And it was just a real good trip. I yeah, Castle it. of Cagliostro was the first Lupin thing I ever watched, and I loved it. It's the first Lupin thing that most people watch these mm -hmm. days, unless they watch like one of the newer TV anime, um, the the actual like TV shows. Um, but I, I'm really I'm really glad that you're doing this experiment, Will, because I think that's pretty cool. Um, because not very very few people end up watching Miyazaki like from in chronological order because most of the time like somebody saw like 
Kiki's Delivery Service or Spirited Away like as a one-off and kind of got into his work. But the fact that you've like intentionally started from the beginning, I think is pretty pretty neat. Yeah. So uh, you're going to have to keep us updated next time you come on. Oh, for sure. Um, as a kid, I was just watching Toy Story on repeat, so I never got to experience uh, any of his films growing up. I mean, I kind of relate to that because I also watch <laughs> Toy Story on repeat. Um, and then uh, real quick, if we're talking about just upcoming anime that I'm a little excited for is uh, Bubble. Have you guys heard about yes. Bubble from Wit oh, Studio? Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, I actually talked about that whenever Bill and I did the Detective Conan episode uh, last time. Mm-hmm. I am excited also because it's going to be written by a very certain individual we'll be discussing later on today. <laughs> yep. yep. So That guy. Mamoru Hosoda. I am. <laughs> uh, I am concerned though because I, I I'm a big fan of Wit Studios' work, but it just makes me more uh, anxious for Vinland Saga season two. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So I might. Push Is that back. coming out? I, it's maybe been someday. We don't have. Yeah, there's no mm-hmm. official date, but they're just like, yep, it will happen. So I wonder. When Jeff Bezos feels wonder- like throwing money at it, I guess. Oh gosh. Yeah, that was going to be my question because I know that like Amazon, Amazon is where anime exclusives go to die, basically because there haven't actually been stuff that, that many in- Amazon ones lately have there. No, and even if there were, you would never hear about them. <laughs> yeah. Well, because um, they tried to do the like anime exclusive little portal thing, and then they cut oh, that, that out failed, and just merged yeah. it with everything else, and then anime and now strike. they're just kind of like, yeah. we're just gonna let other people do that. <laughs> I remember mm. Austin had like a pirate about Anime Strike back in the day. It, it wasn't a good platform. No, it was, it was like an terrible. additional cost on top it, of Prime. Just yeah. very bad. Yeah. Um, I mean, Amazon did promote the new Evangelion movies. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, they did do they did do a fairly good job at that. Um, excuse me, but I feel like a lot of their TV stuff. And I mean, like, Evangelion is a massive name, so of course you're going to promote it, but mm-hmm. they still have, like, the exclusivity for, like, the Wotakoi anime, and oh, which is right. a huge bummer, because I feel like a lot more pe- people would watch and appreciate that anime if it, A, wasn't trapped on Prime, and B, like, got a chance to have an English dub, because I'm pretty sure Amazon doesn't do, they don't do a lot of dubbing. Like, they did it for Evangelion, because that's a big deal, and it was probably a stipulation on Kara's part to be like, hey, we need this to have an English dub. But it just seems like everything else they just don't really care for. They just see it as part of the content mill. Mm-hmm. Maybe you'll get lucky and Vinland Saga will go to like Crunchyroll or High Dive or Funimation or something like that. One can dream. Has Netflix gotten anything recently besides like the American animes? Yeah, uh, Comey Can't oh, yeah. Communicate and Blue Period are actually, they're finally doing, like, airing weekly on Netflix because they had done okay. that with... Um, oh, they're doing airing weekly? Yeah. They're, they're not waiting until it's that. over now. Yeah, because mm-hmm. now they're realizing it's a pretty strong market. Anime's yeah, they're, they're still doing mainstream. that. They're still doing the, like, the drop with uh, Shaman King. I watched the first half of that. I need to watch the second half as well. Um, Mm. but like they just released another 13 episodes and I'm like it would be just so much easier even if it was like three weeks behind if you just released it weekly because then I would be able to keep up not to mention Netflix got Jojo that too part 6 Jojo um, part 6 yeah Yeah, they did the same thing they did with Shaman King where they just dropped a chunk of it at a time but I, I have a feeling that a lot of these productions because they're being done by different studios aren't all being done the same way mm-hmm. so maybe like whoever was working on Comey it worked better for them to do weekly 
but for like David Pro or whoever's doing Shaman King, maybe they were ahead ahead enough in their pipeline to be able to be like, okay, we can do this at like you know twelve or thirteen episode chunks at a time. So it probably just depends on on the workflow of the individual studios. Because it's not like Netflix actually makes this stuff. Correct. It's all just, mm. you know, they they per, they buy it. Right. Um, well, they do, yeah, they do make the, like, like the um, the League of Legends one, the uh, Dota one. They made those, right? I don't think anim- I don't think Netflix has an actual, like, Netflix animation production company. I think everything that's, like, a Netflix original is always outsourced to, like, other third parties. Gotcha. As far as I'm aware, Arcane is actually made by Riot. Like, they actually have a, a dedicated animation studio. I see. Okay. Which, I'm not a League of Legends fan whatsoever. I don't care for it. But I did watch the first episode of Arcane. It's pretty dang cool. Yeah, it looks cool, but it's like, everyone's like, oh, the plot has such big implications for the lore. And I'm like, it looks pretty. (laughs) (laughs) And Uh, yeah, I'm I'm looking at it right now as we're talking. And like, they don't have um, like studio details or anything on Netflix. So it's kind of your guess is as good as mine. Yeah, yeah. Well, folks, with all of that being said, I think we're going to take a quick pause, and when we come back, we're talking about Fate Zero. Okay, so, a bit about the history of the Fate franchise before we get into talking about Fate Zero. So, the Fate series is a long-running multimedia project created by the company Type Moon. Type Moon began in the late 1990s with the publication of their first project, Kara no Kyokai, or The Garden of Sinners, and it was helmed by Type Moon founders and longtime friends, artists Takashi Takeuchi and the writer Kinoko Nasu. Takeuchi and Nasu both met in middle school, with Takeuchi growing up to pursue a career as an artist, and Nasu a career in the humanities. Takeuchi dabbled in working in manga and video games, but it didn't really go anywhere. He later teamed up with his old friend to form a doujin circle, and together they created The Garden of Sinners in 1998, and they released it online as a light novel. It ended up being so successful that they established Type Moon as a company and worked on their next project, the visual novels Tsukihime and later Melty Blood. Both of these are still very popular to this day, with both getting a remake and a reboot, respectively, earlier in 2021. However, Fate is their flagship franchise, and it first began with the original visual novel Fate Stay Night in 2004. Fate Stay Night first introduced us to the concept of the Holy Grail War, Masters and Servants, that Saber Gal that Will really likes, and the broader universe of Fate, where its incalculable number of spin-offs and prequels and sequels all originate. 
Generally speaking, the plot of Fate's Day Night follows a high school boy named Shiro Emiya who unwittingly gets himself involved in a war between different mages who all fight to claim the Holy Grail of Yore. They do battle by summoning spirits of ancient warriors called Servants, who correspond to the classes of Saber, Archer, Lancer, Rider, Berserker, and Assassin. There was an anime adaptation of Fate's Day Night in 2006 that was very popular back in its day, even if it created some very popular memes such as people die when they are killed and is often maligned as having very a very terrible CGI dragon. That series is probably the biggest entry point into the franchise from a Western perspective. That same year in 2006, Gen Urobuchi, in collaboration with Type Moon, wrote the prequel novel called Fate Zero, which follows the events of the previous Holy Grail War ten years prior to the one in the story of Stay Night. It follows a large cast of characters, but it centralized the character of Kiritsugu Emiya, the adoptive father of Shiro Emiya. Urobuchi was given a large amount of creative freedom, and decided to take the prequel in a different direction that the original game and anime did not, such as following a mostly adult cast of characters from multiple different points of view. He wanted to play with the battle royale aspect of it more than it being a hero story like Shiro's in Stay Night. The series went for four volumes and ended in 2007. In 2011, it was announced that the anime studio Ufotable would be adapting would be adapting Fate Zero into animation with director A. Aoki, who had previously directed the first Garden of Sinners film and the critically acclaimed series Wandering Sun. In a way, Fate Zero marks the transitional moment that Ufotable became what we know it today, a company that produces extremely high-quality visuals with special attention to realistic environments, lighting, and particle effects, and extreme levels of polish. You can clearly see a through-line between what Fate Zero looks like and things like Demon Slayer a decade later. Credit to this shift in style is mostly attributed to director of photography Yuichi Terao, who has been the director of photography on most Ufotable projects since Fate Zero. Ufotable continued to work on Fate, adapting both the Unlimited Blade Works and Heaven's Feel arcs of Stay Night, and they are currently producing one of the most popular anime on the planet, Demon Slayer Kimetsu no Yaiba, of course, when their founder isn't being arrested for tax fraud, which happened fairly recently. I'm sorry, what? Okay. Can I, oh, yeah. can I you just... Can, is it pronounced ufotable? I've always called it UFO table this whole time. I was going to make that I, joke, oh but yeah, it's definitely no. ufotable. It's, yeah. Oh, I never knew this. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm Ooh. learning yeah, it's so u- much. Yeah, it is able to be ufoed. <laughs> I mean, true. I, yeah. I mean, yeah. I I'm no I'm no purist on this pronunciation mm-hmm. unless like someone comes down from the heavens and says this is how you pronounce it. I don't know. No, it's all good. Even That's then, just I'd how my brain like them. broke it up. Yeah. Yeah. But it is it is Studio Ghibli, not Ghibli. 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 Ghibli bits. Anyway. Yeah. Ghibli. <laughs> like giblets. Anyway. Studio anyway, giblets. so. Giblets. So. Anyway. Thank you. Um, so all of that background out of the way, I will say that, uh, so typically whenever we do an anime review, we do a cast and crew breakdown, but in lieu of doing that, because there's a ton of characters, we're just going to do a factions breakdown to sort of show you exactly who's who in Fate Zero and their relationship to one another, because it can get kind of confusing 
if you don't lay it all out there and explain everyone's relationship to one another. So, Will, if you don't mind, break down the factions of the story in Fate Zero. Of course. Um, I will, of course, preface with pronunciation. I will do my best. Um, We'll see how, if any of us interpret any of these names differently. Um, But much like Austin said, the core of the Holy Grail War is that it follows the seven main types of servants that can be summoned. So essentially we have seven factions that are all uh, trying to win the Holy Grail. So our first faction centers around who a lot considered to be the main character of Fate Zero, which, which is uh, Kiritsugu Emiya. Uh, he's a mercenary who controls uh, Saber uh, in this adaptation. He is currently teamed up with one of the larger mage family clans, the Iceburns. So he has his wife with him, Irisvale von Eisburn, and they also have a daughter, Elia von Eisenburn, who you might know from Stay Night. Um, and Kiritsugu is also with an associate of his, Maya. So they kind of have a larger team as our, as our main character group, basically. Um, the second faction is the Tosaka clan. So it's headed by the patriarch Tokiomi Tosaka, and he controls uh, the archer class, who is Gilgamesh. Um, Tokiomi's daughter is Rin, so again, for any sort of Fate Stay Night uh, appreciators, Rin is indeed in the show. Um, for those who don't wife, know, by the way, Rin is Will's favorite character of all time. I will Understandable. Not, I will Congratulations not on having taste. Whoa, yes. whoa, whoa. <laughs> whoa, hold on a minute. I will not be slandered. Anyway... Uh, so yes, Rin is in this show. She has her own dedicated episode, which we will uh, talk about later on. Um, we have Tokiomi's his wife uh, Aoi is here as well, uh, and Sakura is also here, but we'll get to her in just a moment. Um, the third faction that we have is a priest of the Holy Church. This is Kirei uh, Kotomine. Uh, his servant is the Assassin class. And um, Kirei's father is actually the overseer of the church, who's kind of like a, basically the referee of the Holy Grail War, basically. Um, we have the, the fourth faction, which is by the Yamato clan. So their, uh, I guess, champion is Karia. He is kind of an estranged son from the family because he kind of rejected Magecraft, but is coming back because he cares a lot about his family. Um, he's Aoi, I'm sorry, I'm butchering that, Aoi uh, Tosuka's brother, and he's the uncle of Rin and Sakura. So Sakura is kind of in care of the Matoi clan, uh, and his motivation for kind of joining the war is because of her, essentially. Um, he controls the Berserker class, whose identity is quite uh, mystifying. Uh, I think the one the one thing we forgot to add to this is his creepy his really creepy dad. Yeah. Oh, that's true. I don't remember. Is that his dad? It, or it's his, his dad. I think it's his dad. Um, so okay. yeah, yeah Karia is the chosen champion for this Holy Grail War. Karia's father is like the the leader currently of the Matori clan, but Karia is the one who's essentially the actual master in the yeah. war. Right. Um. He basically has Sakura in his care, so she can eventually become a great mage, and Karia is essentially in the war to win the Grail so we can save Sakura from a certain fate. Pun intended. Ha <laughs> uh, Okay. The fifth faction that we have is a, I, what I think is a fan favorite, Waver, Velvet. 
Yep. Uh, he's a student at a uh, basically a, a magic university. Um, he ends up joining the war by stealing an artifact from his teacher that is used to summon the uh, holy servants. And he controls the rider class, who is Iskander or Alexander the Great. Uh, we have the sixth faction, who is Waver's teacher, uh, Kenneth L. Uh, Minloy Archibald. His servant is the Lancer class, who is uh, Diermund Duhible? Diermund. <laughs> it's Diermund. I think it's. I think that's old Gaelic or something. It is. So don't yeah. hurt your. Don't hurt yourself <laughs> trying to pronounce I, that. Yeah, didn't brush up on my Gaelic today. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know that uh, his, Kenneth... his first name is Diermund. Yeah, Diermund. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Kenneth also is assisted by his fiance, who has also a very long name, Sola Ue. Nuada Re Sophia Re, or just like Solo Uai. You you did pretty good at that one. Thank yeah. you, thank you. <laughs> uh, and then finally, our seventh faction is headed by R- Rinosuke Udu, who is a um, serial killer, kind of uh, terrorizing the the local area where the Holy Grail War is taking place. I'm blanking on the name of the city. It's like the name of the city. Fu- Fuyuki Furia? City. Yeah. 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 So Fuyuki. He, Fuyuki. So. Uh, Rinosuke is kind of uh, causing a lot of trouble uh, even like before the Holy Grail War starts uh, he's able to summon the caster class servant who is uh, Gilles de Rias also known as Bluebeard Gilles de Ray uh, I also didn't brush up on my French either yeah my French <laughs> is so hard um, yeah so those are the seven main factions it is a lot of characters to keep up with you would think but i believe the show does a really good job at showing each character's motivations and actual like character Mm -hmm. so everyone has their moments throughout the show yeah and i don't think it's too overwhelming that you can't keep up with who's who because most of the time a lot of these people appear in the same scenes as one another so it's not i mean it does get a little bit touch and go towards the end, but I think it's generally it's generally easy to understand who's who and who's with who and who's against who and yeah, that sort of and thing. Yeah, and who wants what from who with the what and the yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly <laughs> with all these, what you just said. Exactly. Uh-huh. With, all these, with all these, you know, nouns and people and stuff. Worst case, little... you can just draw a little chart as you watch it and you'll figure yes. it out. <laughs> yeah, like, like, like the Charlie Day meme, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just it really, yeah, like, together. honestly, the plot is complicated, but the characters, not really. Fairly straightforward. Right. Yeah. yeah. And uh, we will discuss this more. But uh, first of all, Sarah, I want to start with you. Uh, how did you first get introduced to the Fate franchise? We'll just go around and talk about everybody's history, history with it. Um, well, okay, way back in ye old 2009-ish, it was pretty much all over the internet, especially the memes from it. And I definitely saw a DVD for, like, the first, I think, eight or nine episodes in, like, a bargain bin somewhere. (laughs) And I was like, sure, why not? I'll try that Um, for the original 06 Fate Stay Night anime. So that's kind of my first exposure to it. And then I watched the rest of it online because I was a broke high school student and I could not afford the rest of the DVD. (laughs) (laughs) But, uh... Yeah. Times was expensive back then. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it still kind of is. Um, but, yeah. Uh, so that, and then, you know, eventually uh, Unlimited Blade Works and Zero came out, and I watched those. 
and I think I watched them out of order. Well, who? so that's a big discussion, but I didn't watch them in like what aired first. I watched Unlimited Blade Works first and then I watched Zero and I'm pretty sure mm. in terms of airing, mm. it was the opposite of that, I think. Uh, it was. Yeah. yeah. So I I maybe messed up, but maybe I didn't. Um, and Who's to say? Yeah, and then I got really into Fate Go because uh, it has a lot of really pretty character designs. It's pretty <laughs> much the only reason why. Um, the story's also interesting, but the character designs are where it's at. True. Um, Even though I feel like everybody and their mom has heard of it, just for the p- folks that have no idea, what is Fate Go? Um, Fate Go is Fate Grand Order, which is a mobile game. Um, you should not play it. It will eat your money. <laughs> is free to play, but is also a gacha game. Ugh, so you can spend your money on it for that gacha. Gotcha. Um, so... Yeah, it's uh, kind of a, I don't know how to describe it, just like a fighty, like, set up a team and go fight an enemy kind of battle game. Um, but it does have a pretty deep story and a lot of interesting events. And I maybe play it once every few months, honestly, compared to other mobile games. But <laughs> well, you play a Lark- lot, uh, like, compared to uh, the rest of us, I think. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's one of the top grossing uh, mobile games globally, like year after year. So yeah. and there's mm-hmm. probably a decent reason for that. And yeah, I don't know. Check it I'll out go- if you want more Fate content. I'll go out on a limb and say that Fate Go and Fate Zero have almost nothing to do with each other in terms of understanding the other no fate go is oh, for sure. literally au stuff that they just wanted to make more characters and sell people waifu money right so in terms of you know uh, approachability to the franchise you don't even have to worry about fate go at this point but i think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves <laughs> yeah. so uh anyway ryan yes. uh, how were you first introduced to the fate franchise well i joined the uncg japanese club in about 2017 ish <laughs> and there was this really <laughs> annoying guy who was leading this thing called Mondays, and he was like hey there's this show called fate zero and it's fantastic and you should watch it and to get the guy to just leave me alone, I watched it. And he was right, though. It is fantastic. He sounds like a really nice guy. Yeah. I think his name was Super also cool Austin. Dude. I don't know if there's any relation, though. What a coincidence. Yeah. <clears throat> but, um, yeah, I watched it because you got me to watch it. And, uh, yeah, it's fantastic. And I watched Unlimited Blade Works um, after that, I still haven't watched 2006 Fate, but I have watched the first two Heaven's Feel movies. I'm just waiting till I can find the third one dubbed. Mm. And uh, Will, your your um your appreciation for Fate, I think, might extend a little bit further than than the rest of us. So, uh, what what is your history with the franchise? Oh, what a what a high honor. Um, <laughs> so my history with Fate. I first got into it because I was, at the time, a relatively newer anime viewer. And I would do this thing where I would be like, I could ask my friends for recommendations, or I could just Google best anime and just see what it pops out. <laughs> the internet so, will know. Yeah. Exactly. So following the internet's judgment, I discovered the Fate series and then immediately found all of the memes about how complicated the Fate universe can be. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how do I even approach this? So I did what anyone would do, and I decided to to watch in airing order. Um, 
But I, I also want to point out that I was told via online to not even bother with the 2006 original Fate Stay Night. Mm. Uh, so I just went to Zero first because I was like, okay, people told me it's a prequel to this other show, which wasn't even finished airing at the time. Uh, I think the second, because this is like around 2014, 2015, I don't even think the second season was out yet, or at least available for streaming. Because uh, I ended up watching Unlimited Blade Works way after the fact on Netflix. Yeah. But I watched Zero. Zero was my first introduction to Fate, and also my first introduction to uh, Ganaruburuchi. <laughs> and I was just completely blown away. Uh, I think I watched and then Madoka from there, watched... before this. No, I watched Madoka way later. This is also around the era where I started to seek out the people who made the anime, not just by like title and word of mouth. Yeah. So from watching this, I was like, I gotta watch Madoka. I gotta watch Psycho Pass. Like, like it just kind of stemmed from there. Yeah. Mm. Oh no, I definitely watched Madoka before this because you know I did the thing for uh, Anna Mondays about Madoka. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh yeah, I feel like whenever I met you, you already were a Madoka fan. Yeah, but it, it was It was well after that that you. Uh jumped into fate actually not that far after that i watched it like my first semester well t- well time was time passed so differently back then ryan it's honestly like that's was, valid <laughs> yeah, a, a month felt like a month instead of a day you know um but for me i i really don't know exactly how i got into the fate franchise i'm pr- i think that i had picked up a, a well Again, kind of like you guys, it's like fate is something like if you're in the anime community and and you're looking online, like fate for many, many years would just come up, you know, because it's just one of those things. It's one of those big institutional anime that has a lot of different entries, a lot of different entry points and has a lot of fans. So it's like I feel like I feel like if you're into anime at all, you've at least seen Saber and you know who Saber is and you know what she looks like and you know Mm. that she's from fate. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that would be a drastic assumption to make. Um, so I probably initially heard about it then. And plus, like, the title, Fate Stay Night, is very weird. And it, like, stands out in your head because it's like, what does that mean? I don't know. It's a weird title. I still um, haven't figured it out. Exactly. Um, but then I, I think just over time, I, I figured out about Fate Zero and just wanted to check it out. Because I knew, I had picked up on the fact that Fate 06 was like kind of just middling. And I didn't really know if I wanted to watch that one. But I knew Fate Zero had a lot of things in it that I enjoyed. Yeah. um, That I had experienced um, mostly through uh, Madoka Magica, which included like Yuki Kajura's soundtrack, uh, Calafina doing some music. And, of course, uh, Genorobuchi being the original author, even though I don't think those are, like, the principal reasons I got into it, that's kind of why I enjoyed it at the time, because I was able to connect the dots uh, between those. Um, But in terms of, like, specifically how I got into it, I don't really remember. I do remember that it was really cold whenever I first got into it, like it was (laughs) wintertime, like over a winter break, and uh, which is very fitting, because this show does take place um, in the winter, at least partially, um and it's a uh, very cold in tone or at yeah, least it can be it is not a warm fuzzy happy mm. show <laughs> yeah no i rem- i think probably my favorite memory of associated with the fate franchise is um austin and i used to do these little mini presentations called why you should watch 
and mm-hmm. basically we would pitch a show to like a room full of people and like i don't even remember if we showed clips or anything it would be like this is what this show is about it's amazing you should watch it we did this like for uh j club as well and um i was doing um stay night uh, unlimited blade works as one of them and i just wanted to spice up a couple of my panels with some like screenshots from the show so i googled fate stay night scenes and let oh. me tell you I did not find a single thing from the show. I found a lot of porn. Uh-huh. <laughs> and that's how I discovered that the visual novels were not just visual novels. They were porn visual novels. Because <laughs> I yes, had no idea until that moment. Yeah, in its original incarnation, Fate Stay Night was uh, 18 plus. We'll put it that way. Yeah. I had no idea about that until Mm -hmm. that very moment where I could describe what I saw, but it would probably raise our podcast rating a fair bit. So I guess um, this this had been the first time that I had approached Fate Zero in probably a good number of years. I don't I had not rewatched it sort of stem stem to stern since I watched it for the first time back in undergrad. So this would have been around 2015 or 16 or so, um, and I remember really enjoying it back then because I thought it was really visually slick it's really um it's a very mature story that follows like adult characters and just the 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 politicking and the machinations and the backstabbing and the 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 treaties and then the broken treaties and then all of that stuff wrapped in a package that has like excellent music beautiful character designs beautiful aesthetics there was just so much to like about about fate zero um back then and i feel like most of most of my enjoyment for it has was retained in in this most recent watch through i i definitely notice a couple things with it that i'll talk about later that i didn't really notice the first time um but for you guys like i guess generally speaking how did you feel returning to it after not having seen it for a number of years held up really well um it was more so after returning to it after having watched um other stuff as well like a lot of things had more context and there are some episodes i just straight up did not remember but now are like some of my favorites just because of the context they gave like the rin episode i did not remember that at all 
and um now i remember thinking it really the first is a great time, episode it is but like the first time i remember i do remember now that i was watching it i was like who is this and why should i care that this child is trying to be a superhero <laughs> and then after watching stay night i'm just like yeah Rin, do it <laughs> i yeah. had the same exact reaction to that episode because again i started with fate zero so i was like i don't really know who this is like why are you here why are you detracting from the the plot that's going on yeah. But watching it now with a much more greater understanding of fate, it is one of the like one of the better episodes I think. Yeah. The show. Like there, I will say, excuse me, I will say, um, there as with any complicated plot show, there were a lot of things that I just straight up did not remember happening. Like yeah, the, likewise. The big moments I remembered very clearly, but like there were a lot of smaller things I was like, oh yeah, I totally forgot about this. Mm-hmm. Like there was a, there was that point where I, I remembered in, in the back of my head I was like, okay, so El Malloy ends up in a wheelchair at some point, but I totally can't remember why. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, <laughs> and stuff like that, and then remembering why and putting the putting the pieces together. Uh, was was fun to revisit. Yeah. What about you, Sarah? Um. Well, I mean, it's it wasn't too different for me because I uh, watched Unlimited Blade Works first, and like, unfortunately, when you watch Unlimited Blade Works first, in that they do reveal like who won the war in Fate Zero, and mm-hmm. a little bit of the circumstances of the ending of that. Um, so then when you go back and watch Fate Zero Second, it becomes more about the journey than the destination a little bit. Um, yeah. So there is like certain things like, oh, I know that guy's going to die. I wonder how that happened. And I know, <laughs> hey, wait, I know that kid. I fucking love that kid. Let's go. Exactly. <laughs> Scooby-Doo that shit and then get caught up in it because when real kids try to Scooby-Doo shit, that's what happens. They got to get <laughs> saved by adults because they're just kids. Don't go into dark alleys trying to save people from serial killers. Learn your lesson. Yeah, not if you're what, like, seven years old. Yeah, yeah. for real. <laughs> um, Rin had a compass that let her know that bad stuff was around. Yeah, and then she walked toward it, not yeah. away from it. <laughs> um, but no, but uh, yeah, I think um, rewatching it definitely. There's things. Especially pertaining more so to watching the Lord Elmeloy the Second series, because that's uh, who Waver Velvet kind of grows up to be. Um, okay, can things... you can you can you like introduce that because like oh. I kind of know what that is, but can you explain? Yeah, like, both, it's basically both like for, for my benefit and for the folks at home. So after the Holy Grail War that takes place in Fate Zero, Waver Velvet it kind of goes and travels around and tries to figure out a way to like bring Iskander like back into the world or like somehow get involved in another grail world grail war without it being as much of a risk or something Mm -hmm. um and he goes around and tries to figure stuff out and tries to see the world and stuff because I guess he was inspired by Iskander's whole like adventure it's out there woohoo um, he does mention that in like the final episode whenever right. he's talking to his mm. grandparents. Yeah. Yeah. So um, he does all that and then he eventually becomes a professor at the um, college. He becomes that like he the Archmage, I think. 
Really? I'm pretty Shit, sure. Like remember. based on the ending of uh, Unlimited Blade Works, like I remember that being Waver, and he was like uh, very much in yeah. charge. Yeah. Well, he yeah. does become he becomes a lord, so he becomes a head of um, a like magical clan i guess is okay. the whole situation of that <laughs> i don't know but yeah and then he also like sherlock style just kind of like solves yeah sherlock or like doctor who or whatever you want to call it like solves mysteries here and there and like yeah. has a randy little <clears throat> band of scamps that help him out <laughs> with that while also just constantly pining for iskander the great to be back in his life haha <laughs> um he missed his big old bestie uh, for sure <laughs> For sure. Um, but yeah, it's a really, it's like, uh, I've only seen the anime. To be honest, I literally currently on a tab have the <laughs> translations for the novels pulled up because they're light novels originally. And I'm like, I'm going to read these as soon as I'm done with this podcast. Let's go. Because <laughs> um, apparently the novels are like way better than the anime because isn't that how it always goes? Um, I mean, but yeah. yeah, so how many, I think that how many, helped like, inform me on that seeing it again yeah, yeah how, how many like official releases like canon books or visual novels are there for this franchise oh i Too don't want to know probably tons well because i know got... like i know like grand order and apocrypha and uh, that other one are not canon like they're just Hollow well, I think... yeah I think, canon. I, I think a lot of i think people refer to that as sort of like the the stay night series in which zero is part of it okay. um so i i think the the official like main storyline because i don't want to get into the difference between like canon and non-canon i think mm -hmm. the main storyline is comprised of zero fate stay night 06 ubw heaven's feel and then the sequel to the heavens the the sequel to the fate stay night the original visual novel which has never been adapted which is a uh, hollow atraxia yeah mm -hmm. and then there are some mm -hmm. side stories which include the uh the waver velvet um the adventures of waver velvet gotcha. I, I forget what it's called the um, yeah i have files um... of lord el meloy the second i think mm -hmm. yes thank you yeah and I have... i'm pretty sure that's only because i have it up in a tab <laughs> i think that's the extent of it well, I, ha um, I have Fate Extra on PSP as well, and, like, from what I hear, that's, like, a fan favorite. Mm -hmm. And, like, they adapted that as well, didn't they? Sort of, mm -hmm. kind of. Well, they, um, I mean, yes, there's there's the whole Fate Extra series, but in, in terms of what, what is part of the main story, I think it's just the stuff that I yeah. said. The, mm. the term they use, they don't really say canon, they really use, like, timeline or alternate mm. timeline. Yeah. So it kind of, it, it sounds ridiculous, but they do have a structure for it. It's like comic books, Ryan. So you know it makes no sense. Ugh, God, don't even get started on comic books. I'm still in mourning. <laughs> um, so I guess going back to Fate Zero a little bit. So Will, in his introduction, basically said that, like, ostensibly our main character of Fate Zero is Kiritsugu Imiya, who... In the original Fate Stay Night, we don't know all of that much about him as a person. We just know that he's like the um, already deceased adoptive father of the main character of Stay Night, Shiro. Um, and he's mentioned he's mentioned a lot in Fate Stay Night, but you don't really <laughs> know that much about him as a person. And you really don't get a glimpse into what the previous Holy Grail War was like. Um, 
So even though this, even though Fate Zero really does shift around in perspective a lot, and I think that's one of its great strengths because you get to spend a lot of time with a very wide cast of characters that um, are both lovable and hateable in equal regards, but are always sort of fun to watch play out on screen. Um, but still, Kiritsugu is like our main focus. So what do you guys think about him as like a compelling main character? Or not. He was honestly absent for a lot of it for a main character. But I did like mm. him. But like upon rewatching this, I really felt like the main character like the main focus was definitely on him and Saber, like hundred percent. But the main character is like kinda up for grabs because I really liked uh Waver this time around because mm-hmm. I don't know, I just liked him a lot more. And also, uh, Kire, I kind of saw as, like, a side character, and now I'm just like, no, you really were the main villain, weren't you? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, it... Yeah. My my perspectives watching it this time around were definitely different. Mm. I, I think the, like, he is present, but, like, not really there. Yeah. Because we don't really learn a lot about his motivation or see his like means too much until like the second season yeah Um, iris is more of a main character than him yeah they they do the whole play in the beginning where it's like oh we want everyone to think that um iris feel is the act is saber's master so he can like work in the shadows and work alone like he's used to Mm -hmm. and i think that kind of plays into that because like is he the main character i mean technically yes but kind of to ryan's point he's not always like emotionally there you know what i mean yeah like he's Mm -hmm. kind of doing his own thing you don't really learn a lot about him until the show's almost over Mm -hmm. he's kind of like the lens that we're watching the events unfold from almost yeah or like he's like the orchestrator of a lot of events but you're almost seeing things through like maybe through like sabers lens because she's just like why is he doing this what is he doing and that's kind of how the audience feels is like what Mm. but like because mm-hmm. him and Iris Bell are always like, yeah, we got to do this, you know, the grail, you know, for the plan, the plan, the plan, we got to stick to it. <laughs> and you're just sitting there like, but what is, what's, what's the goal? What's the thing that's going to save everybody and all that stuff that they're talking about? Like, mm-hmm. what is it? So, I mean, would, would, hmm? go ahead, Sarah. Oh, well, I just, I feel like um, it's definitely like, it's, it's hard to like pinpoint who is, like the number one main character between mm-hmm. the three of them, I think between Iris Vale, Kiritsugu, and Saber. Um, yeah, like they kind of work as like a trifecta. I yeah, mean, mm-hmm. because most most of the story is sort of centered around them. As like we, as the audience, are supposed to think that like they are the good guys, but like Genorobuchi's stories almost never are that are quite that cut and dry um and a lot of fiction is not quite that cut and dry of like clear good guys and bad guys because there are definitely some pretty horrible things that we are made privy to that that kiritsugu does that make him very much like an anti-hero mm-hmm. he is not sort of the paragon of of righteousness or what have you that like shiro tries to be later on yeah in stay night um but it, but it is inter- it is kind of hard because, like, I think the show, just for the fact that, like, 
it contextualizes so much of the events around Kiritsugu and Saber and Iris Field that like I think we're led to believe that they're the main characters, but I think that the way that the the show treats a lot of the other side characters is that they are they're also the main character as well of their own story. So like it is a little bit hard to pin down like exactly who the principal like focus and the principal perspective of Fade Zero is. And in a way I think that's kind of its strength. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I definitely agree. As my secondary watch here, the main thing that I really picked up on is what I think is probably the biggest strength of the show is just in its character and how the characters relate and interact with each other. Definitely. Because just to your point, anytime we're focused on a quote non-main character, we still get a lot of insight into what they're thinking, their desire for the grail, and how they interact with either their servant, the master, or like other servants or other masters, like connecting. There's a lot of really good character moments and dialogue in this show that I think on my first viewing, I was more focused on the battle royale plot being a new thing to me but even watching this now with all that fake context i now know like the just all the way that all the characters are written and interact um it's kind of hard to say like who really is a main character when they all have such a integral part of the story Mm -hmm. um another thing um between Kotomine, Kirei Kotomine, and like Hiritsugu is like i feel like they're such strong foils for each other because um Kiritsugu is over here like trying to be the bad guy who just like does things the dirty way and just gets shit done because it's got to get done but towards the end of the series you realize like internally it's really like he feels like every death that he causes he really is just kind of picking the path of lesser evil kind of thing yeah I don't know how to describe it I'm sorry you're talking about you're talking about um Emiya or Kirei. Yeah. Kiritsugu. Well, I'm talking about, yeah, like, I'm talking about Emiya Kiritsugu. Okay. He's, like, because he's, like, he's a total badass, but internally he's still still just kind of, like, that scared little boy from the island who murdered his dad because his dad did terrible shit kind of thing. Like, he yeah. never really wanted kinda, to be a murderer. He wanted to be a hero. Kind I kind of thought his background episodes could have been condensed into one because like I did notice a connection though like when they were talking about the mage assassin um yeah they were like he's so dedicated to getting his target that he took down an entire airliner one time and then you saw what I'm assuming is that and then I'm just like oh so he's not like entirely ruthless he just he does what has to be done yeah it's basically a facade whereas like Kotomine like has this facade of being you know I'm the, you know, neutral party, church man, say, everything's fine. And then internally, he's a total sociopath who just murders anybody because he's like, you know what? Mm, this will be interesting. Let me just mm, betray Tosaka. Why not? <laughs> I will say there was one thing that he said towards the end. I think it was in like the second or third to last episode that just actually mm-hmm. made it made me go, wait a second. So <laughs> we know how high stakes the Holy Grail War is. Like, you literally could get your heart's desire, theoretically, it's kind of still up in the air as to what the Holy Grail actually does. (laughs) It's a lot of caveats with that. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Asterisk, yeah. (laughs) As far as you think, though, you get your heart's desire. That is what you go into this thinking. And Kire uh, goes into this, and he's just like, yeah, I don't know what my wish is going to be. And I'm like, hold up. You're in this for shits and giggles? 
Like, yeah. this is high stakes. Like, you could literally die. Why are you... Why? Mm-hmm. Like, it made no sense to me. emotions at some point, you know? It made no sense to me that he would go to such extremes for some end goal that he's like, eh, I don't know. Like, it, it was just like, no, I could see doing this if you were like... I don't know, even if it was as trivial as I'm going to save my dead wife, but he's a priest, so he doesn't have one of those. But, like, I think... Either way. Like, something as stereotypical as that, I would believe more over, I don't know why I'm doing this, I just am. Well, I think think it kind of shifts a bit. It's like, Initially, in the very beginning of the show, it does not seem that Kire is particularly personally invested in the Grail War to any great degree. He's just kind of following orders and going along with Tosaka because his dad had some machinations that they would work together, blah, blah, blah. But then, sort of as he has his continued conversations with uh, Gilgamesh about, like, the nature of desire and like life and things like that and you you get you you get the revelation that Kire basically is he feels like completely empty inside um and i think his his reasoning for wanting the grail kind of is a reflection of that because i i the way that i read it was that he was going to use his wish to figure out like what his desires actually are mm-hmm. to like yeah. have that revealed to him um which I guess makes sense if you're somebody who's like that deeply disconnected from both yourself and the world around you. Mm-hmm. And, and also like very sociopathic. Yes. Yeah. Um, I feel like that's kind of what it boils down to is it is like the fact that he's just a giant sociopath. But even then I'm just like, literally I can't understand why you would like risk your life in such a high stakes thing with no end goal. I mean, yeah. it's him just kind of searching for himself, and I think the show really kind of puts it where it's like, oh, the Grail chose you, even if you don't know why yet, you will find out as time goes on. Yeah. Right. And I think I was sort of going back to um, Kiritsugu's issue, it's like they basically they basically contextualize towards the end of the show that he is like the walking, talking, breathing version of the trolley problem. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which, I, yeah. which I thought was kind of funny. Um which the the whole thing about the trolley problem is that it's supposed to reveal like the inherent sort of sociopathy of a system. Mm. It's like is sociopathy well, the sol- a word? Yes, it is. It is. <laughs> it's like <laughs> it's it's like the idea of like well the solution to the trolley problem is to just remove the trolley and you <laughs> and then in a way I mean that's a that's very simplistic but that's kind of the the idea right? It's like. But Kiritsugu has, in his mind, is like, yes, I must create suffering in order to end suffering. And that's sort of his thing. But I think I think his arc, and I, I feel like this could have been a little bit more established in the very end, and maybe they just ran out of time. But I wish that they had focused more on Kiritsugu coming to that realization, because I think he kind of does in the sense that like he realizes that oh, it's not about, like, preventing suffering and sorrow from happening by, like, killing people that may cause it. It's about doing as much good as you can do. Um, And he does that through, like, rescuing Shiro. Yeah. And he's so, like, he's so just delighted and um, just, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, relieved, I guess, that Mm -hmm. he found, like, 
some a, good uh, came out of this entire debacle. Right. Which which is which is kind of how you want to sort of contextualize things, I guess, in in the best way that you can because I mean like it, it's kind of the death note issue too, I guess. It's just like you can't you cannot necessarily end all suffering, but you can you can add good things to the world, I suppose. And I think that that's kind of what he realized in the end. At least that's how I read it. If you yeah. guys read it differently. Yeah, kind of. Also, I'm, I'm speaking of the trolley like problem, sorry, go ahead, Will. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm glad that you said it like that, because that's one of the very few issues I have with this show, is that it does so well with how characters interact with each other. And I think with Kiritsugo, he already has a lot going on with him and Kira kind of being foils of each other. But mm-hmm. through that discovery that he makes, I really wish that he actually got to interact with Saber more. Because mm-hmm. a yeah. lot of the show, him and Saber, even though he's actually her master, like, they hardly... I don't think they ever have, like, an actual, like, deeper conversation yeah. besides just vaguely talking yeah. about their plan. And they both have, like, the very similar, like, end goals for what they want to do. It's just that their means to get there differ. And I think if they interacted more servant to master, they could have, like, each learned something from each other. But yeah. instead, we just kind of get a culmination from probably my favorite moment in the beginning of season two with the fight against Lancer. Mm-hmm. But then like after that, oh. they don't really ever interact again. And I think that's kind of a, a missed mark, but I kind of understand the why since he already has a lot going on. Plus his two dedicated backstory episodes. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I know Ryan wanted to chime in with something else, but yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that because I think in, in my reading of um, a couple of interviews with Urobuchi, he said that like, he, he felt like he had to write the story in that way because to, in in the way that makes Saber and Kiritsugu not interact very much specifically because of their relationship that is established in stay night where mm, they don't they don't have one. they don't they don't really have one yeah so he was sort of and I think that you could call this sort of an inherent weakness of the of the of the property overall and it is kind of the problem like it's, the it's prequel a prequel problem, problem. Yeah. yeah okay that yeah. makes a lot of sense where yeah. like you have you have to fit the round peg in the round hole that's already established yeah. so i completely agree with you will i feel like it would be a much better show if we got to explore the relationship between saber and kiritsugu more fully but it's just like unfortunately they just couldn't do that and make it make sense as a prequel to Stay Night. Yeah, but also um, I feel like like Kiritsugu, Master Assassin, could be better at communicating. Is a pretty like accurate. <laughs> yes, thing. that's fair. That's so fair. <laughs> that is but, fair. But um, in that interview as well, he said like that is kind of why they created Irisville to basically mm-hmm. be Kiritsugu's voice in a way that saber could interact with i do think they do that well because i think saber and iris field's relationship is one of the better ones in the show definitely yeah. it is good they have great chemistry um they both iris like field. to drive cars that's very <laughs> very fast <laughs>
the um the one thing that I thought was kind of odd though I wanted to bring it up when we were talking about the trolley problem the, this time that I was watching this I've now since watched Evangelion did you get the same vibe as like the last two episodes of Evangelion from that entire like sequence of him yes. being inside the Absolutely. grail yeah, yeah I was just like I was just oh, like sure. okay this is this is now Evangelion <laughs> yes yeah. Absolutely. I mean, if that wasn't intentional, it had to have been like subconsciously. Yeah. Ava because it's, it's it was so like the... on point. We have reached existential breakdown time. Let's exactly. go. <laughs> basically, basically. Because I mean, it is very much like like the third impact sequence in the end of Ava, or or, or um maybe more so like TV ending. Mm-hmm. But um yeah, it basically that's basically what happens in the last few episodes. Which is probably why I like this show. Yeah. <laughs> Anything that reminds me of Ava, I like. <laughs> uh, so we've talked a lot about Kiritsugu and basically the the, the main sort of um, faction. Um, but I guess let's just open up the floor and you guys talk a little bit more about some of the other masters that you that you liked and their their uh, perspectives and their angles and their servants and all that fun stuff or not so fun stuff. Hmm. Yeah. Um one pair that i actually found very interesting the second time around was uh caster and rinosuke um, well, somebody had to mention that they are the elephants in the room right <laughs> but for a very odd reason that i just kind of it helped the fact that i had watched it before to like pick up on this detail the second time around um when caster is introduced um he says like just call me bluebeard and you don't realize that he's like the role child serial killer Gilles de Ray. Um and um and uh he he lets the kid go and you see the kid is like about to run off and then jump scare he gets devoured by magical tentacles. Um and he mentions about how despair is the sweet moment right when hope leaves the body. And I was just like that's the end of the show. <laughs> like, <laughs> that is literally the end of the show right there. That's the thesis. Like, everyone loses hope at the end of this show. Like, everyone is so mm-hmm. hopeful. Then Ryder gets killed. Obviously, he was going to. Saber uh, discovers Lancelot's identity, or Berserker's identity as Lancelot. Um, and then... Uh, Kiritsugu has this grand plan of he's literally going to bring about world peace and the Holy Grail's like okay how and he's like what and then he's just like okay nope change my mind fuck the Holy Grail and then he just (laughs) destroys it and you know nukes a building and gets a son and everything and loses his wife and it was like there was a lot of hope in the show like when I was watching it and then it just it's all snuffed out like every mm-hmm. bit of it yeah and i guess to go uh, i guess to recontextualize it to what happens after that because i think that is important and yeah. you did kind of mention that i do think it is interesting that it starts off with like ryanosuke and uh caster basically being like child killers and then the the ending is a child being saved huh. and yeah, i'm like true. okay well, well through through all of this nihilism that Urubuchi likes to put us through all this suffering, all of this snuffing out of hope. It's like, I think I think a good takeaway is that even after hope has been snuffed out, 
there still might be some. Yeah, I That's felt like I felt like Caster Ryosuke, um, as kind of it's kind of like with every other master servant pair, they all have like more specific motivations. I feel like, mm. or maybe reasons you'd want to, someone would want to root for some of them. I feel like it's the hardest to get behind uh, Team Caster here. Mm -hmm. um, and a part of it, because it's like, naturally at the end of season one, it's like they're the big bad threat that everybody has to stop the war to like deal with. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's like one of the few things plot-wise I, as my second viewing i wasn't too keen on because it's like everybody has to kind of stop what they're doing to deal with this like oh we have to kill the clearly bad people in the show mm -hmm. i kind of wish that it played out a little bit more elegantly with them because i feel like towards the end i kind of got a little bit done with their antics because mm -hmm. it was like oh yeah. we're just like killing people i was like okay i, I guess i don't know crazy. i feel like the reason found a magic a bit... book why not yeah I kind of yeah. wonder how it feels from the perspective of somebody who watched um, the original Stay Night and then watched Zero, like knowing all these people have to die, you, you know, something like that. Uh, the uh, the one thing I will say about the caster bit that I thought was kind of funny was how he sees Saber and thinks that she's like Jean Dark. Yeah, <laughs> and which is funny because that is, Jean that is, a, is yeah. That's a much yeah, funnier funny joke, knowing like how every saber looks the same now. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> he he confuses her with another saber face character, which is yeah. so funny to me. That that was a much funnier. That was a much funnier <laughs> thing this time around. Like yeah, definitely. yeah, yeah. I think I think that's. A, I mean, it's a funny joke, and you can easily understand it, like in the context of the show. But it's like way funnier if you know the broader <laughs> like context. The of fact fate, that Nero funnier. Claudius is literally a red saber yeah exactly yeah um i think i think caster and um Ryunosuke provide a really interesting wrench in this machine of these like elite mage people that you know they've got everything planned out and then this one crazy guy sort of gets in the middle of it and ruins everything and they have to stop all of their machinations and deal with him <laughs> i think that's a really interesting idea and i think that's one of the things that i don't like so much about some of the later entries like um fate stay night and uh well all, all of the incarnations of Fate's Day Night that I've seen so far, it's like everything is so in those, like everything is so localized to like following just like these sets of characters and like people in their bubble that it feels like the Holy Grail War is, is extreme, is like weirdly localized. It's just like why, why is it that all of the saber, like, no, why is it that, like, all of the mages and servants, like, already know each other? <laughs> like, mm -hmm. yeah, you see what I mean? And, like, Zero involves, like, people from all over the world. I, I mean, most of them are, are, like, in the mages, like, sphere, so they do know of each other. They but, actually... But, like, is, like, a total wild card. Same with Velvet. Yeah, Waver, I will actually I mean. say they do address Waver, that. Yeah. They do address that to a degree. Um, they mention, I don't remember why or what the context of it was, um, but they do mention at one point that when the servants are summoned to the world, they get, like, magical knowledge of the world. So I don't know if a history lesson is included in that. What do you mean? Like, I think it was when they were driving and Iris was driving, like, a madwoman. 
uh, Saber is like, you know, I could have dri- driven, right? And she's like, you know how to drive? And she's like, yeah, when we're summoned, we get, like, you know, knowledge about the world and how it works. Yeah, well, I, I meant more so, like, who gets who gets chosen by the Holy Grail to be a master? That's oh. kind of what I meant. Sorry, okay, like, gotcha. Like, why is it that all the people that get chosen by the Grail all happen to know each other? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, that's very prominent in Fate's Day Night. But I think Ryunosuke is sort of the antithesis of that in Zero, and that's kind of what I like about it. Um, because I do think it's, like I said earlier, I do think it's very funny in a weird, bizarre way that, like, this absolute mad dog gets involved in this fight that is ostensibly between these, like, very professional and very serious professional mm. mages. <laughs> yeah. And they have to stop everything to deal with his antics. Um, yeah. Which, I say antics, he's killing children. There's nothing really antics yeah, about yeah. that. Um, they were just like, oh yeah, this was a mistake. We should address this. Yes. I which will I guess say, totally though, makes sense. I will say, though, the the proctor, overseer, whatever he's called, is kind of going against the will of the Grail by being like, hey, how about we all stop trying to kill each other and all, like, focus on this one competitor like well, didn't he say he had the authority to make those choices yeah, he's, but i he's guess the it's referee. all very nebulous yes but also i'm gonna kind of call bs on that it feels like a self-appointed role given how here yeah. was that role in stay night uh, i see yeah like and i feel it's, like it's not like the it seemed like he like was the... in on it like it, it didn't seem yeah. like he was being truly partial yeah, and, and there's really no way to tell because the Grail itself is so, like, mysterious. There's really no way to know if, like, he's just saying that, like, oh, I have the authority to do this, versus him actually having the authority from the Grail. Correct. So, it is a little bit nebulous, but, um... I, gosh, where where else do we go? There's so many different rabbit holes to go into this story. Um, I think, really, if... I, I think I'll go out on a limb and say that if Waver and Iskandar were not in this show, I probably wouldn't enjoy it as much. Yeah. 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 They have a lot of charm and a lot of the humor in the show, which is a very dark show already. Yes. But like a lot of the lighthearted moments really come from, like from their interaction alone almost. Mm-hmm. And I think uh, it's a good for a natural break of the tension of what's going on. And also they're like best bros and seeing them grow together is nice. <laughs> Um, yeah, I do feel like, um, especially when you compare caster and writer to each other, like, the show as a whole is just so good with, uh, just conveying tone, because everything that caster does, you're just like, ew, I don't like you, get off my screen, go die in a hole somewhere, and then everything that Iskander does is like, oh, hey, wait, that's pretty fun, he just wants a really cool t-shirt, we're just, we're just (laughs) having fun. You know, it's just... Um, and he wants to fight Bill balance. Clinton. And yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. Why not? Do it. But yeah. Um, what are other like characters? I mean, Gilgamesh, I think, is such an interesting character. Because he's just like fucking king of kings. He's over here. And, but he still wants to have a master that like he can respect on a certain level. So whenever... Tosaka is just kind of 
groveling to him and kind of like allowing him to go with his whims instead of being almost an equal to him he kind of resents that in a way i feel like he starts Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. real quick anecdote real quick anecdote about gilgamesh um i noticed something kind of like interesting so for those who aren't religious king of kings is literally jesus christ first of all um so him calling himself that is like very bold but i noticed that the characters who would have been more religious didn't call him king of kings they called him king of heroes Hmm. it was just an interesting little thing i noticed well also if you're a king and you're calling somebody king of kings then you're kind of like admitting that you're lesser to them too so it's like yeah 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 but yeah did gilgamesh uh, wait was gilgamesh alive technically before jesus i think I, I think yes. Think so. I don't know. I think yes. No, 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 no. 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 Gil- Gilgamesh no. was way prior to uh, to like zero A.D. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Well, either way, I thought that anyway. was interesting. <laughs> History. Yeah. Yes. That's also like the entire appeal of this show is history. Like, if you're a history <laughs> well. buff, like if you're a history buff, well, okay, sort of. If you're a history buff, though, you'll pick up on like references like a lot you might you might see it as like an interesting curiosity but if you're looking for raw realism oh it's not raw realism (laughs) but like i'm saying the fact that gilles de ray was literally a serial child murderer actually Mm -hmm. in real life like yeah you may have figured out that's Mm -hmm. who that was before Mm -hmm. it told you I think the initial conceit of like, oh, by the way, King Arthur, actually a girl whole time. I think that's still what? pretty neat. Yeah. Like, I know that that's, that's pretty played out. And uh, that is sort of like a big thing of stay night. But I still think that that's a neat idea. Yeah. And the fact that that is so contextualized into the story of Zero, especially with her, with her relationship with Berserker, yeah. I think is like... It, it's such a shame that that happens like at the 11th hour of the show. Because I feel like it would have been nice to see more of that. Yeah, because they really play a lot of her and Lancer together kind of early on with like, oh, yes. they're going to have this duel. They're like both honorable knights and everything. And it focuses a lot on their side of it. And then by the time the Lancer situation uh, is done, they don't really have a lot of time to bring Berserker back, who actually has a known tie to Saber. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So... I still have to watch, there's like a Fate Grand Order um, Camelot thing that focuses on kind of all of the knight's servants in a way, and kind of dives more into that within the Fate universe. And I still have to watch that and kind of see what the heck that's about. Yeah, that might that might be very interesting. Yeah. I think that came out a year or two ago. I don't know. Mm-hmm. There's been a few but... Grand Order things that have popped up. Yeah. But, I mean, oh my gosh, who else is cool in this show? Well, I think, you know, uh, Will, you mentioned Lancer. I think Lancer, if I had to guess, Lancer's probably, like, a big fan favorite because he's he's just great. He has, like, a lot of charisma, and, like, his, his back and forth with Saber is really fun to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't really get a lot of exploration of his character, necessarily. I mean, we do, mm-hmm. but it, it's just it's such a big bummer. Note. Yeah. Yeah. It's just such a huge bummer, everything that happens with him. Like, his master sucks. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah, I think it does a good job about how, like, depending on what servant master you get, the relationship and how well you two gel together can really dictate 
how things are going to go, as seen with, like, Gilgamesh and Tosika. Yes. Mm-hmm. And Lancer and Mkaneth. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or even consider, like, Waver and Iskander kind of have an interesting chemistry that actually lets Waver get farther than he maybe would have as such a novice mage. Mm-hmm. If he had had, like, imagine if Waver had had Gilgamesh or like what would that what would have happened it would have been totally different and I think that's a real a real mark of strength for this show and the writing overall it's that like every single master's relationship with their servant is wildly different from the other there's Mm -hmm. there's none of them that feel like they just copied and pasted a dynamic because they're all different everybody has such a distinct personality yeah, and I, th- I think that's a real a real writing strength to have and so many characters, but they're all unique. Yeah, and it's also delicately balanced. Like it's such a freaking house of cards. Like one wrong move or one thing toppling over here could totally just blow out the plans of everything else. Mm-hmm. Like Caster and Rinosuke existing. Haha! <laughs> just mm. punching right through. <laughs> here we are. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. Any other masters, servants, thoughts that we haven't really touched on yet? We we didn't really talk about Karia and the Matoys. Oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah. gosh. Freaking the like, underdog I'm where kinda... you're like, I hope everybody kills each other and he just somehow comes out on top so he can save that poor fucking girl yeah, in the bug I'm, basement. I'm like torn on Karia because he was, in my opinion, really underdeveloped. Like, he felt like a massive afterthought. Mm. I kind well, of he, agree a little bit because I feel like his whole motivation is just to save Sakura from the and then he like utterly fails. families. I, mean, I think Karya's Karya's is the most depressing on multiple fronts because oh, not yeah. only is he like he like has to basically like destroy his entire body to like even get to the point where he can summon a heroic spirit in the first place but he gets one that's like absolutely unhinged and i I bet that causes some issues um in addition to like he's not able like he's fighting against a system that is broken that i feel like even at the end of the day i don't even know if he could really do anything about it because um like the whole central conceit is that like Oh, gosh, I got to explain all this, I guess. Do we need to explain, like, why Sakura is gone? Like, is that necessary? Do we need to not explain I mean, all could, that? We could break it down a little bit. I mean, if you want the footnotes version here, wait. Yeah, go, go, go for with the it, footnotes you, version, you please. All right, footnotes version. Sakura and Rin are both born, and they're both really strong mages. But Daddy's like, we only need one. We can only give the family secrets to one. So, but they're both they're both so good. So let's give one of our daughters to this fucking bug creep that's going to shove her in his basement and just torture her with bugs until she gets really good at magic. That's it. You, yep. you said it better than I could have, yeah. honestly. And Karia does not like that. So that's what he wants to use his wish for, to reunite his family uh, with Aoi, who is his, I think... She's definitely his sister, right? Yeah, they're I yeah, don't, yeah. Like, are they blood? Siblings. Are they blood blood related? Because it was kind of there was kind of they didn't some... address it. Okay, yeah, because it could be like you know the good old like oh they're distant cousins from the same clan or something. Because anyway, yeah. anyway, anyway, yeah. I was getting Whatever. romance vibes. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it could be incest. Too, but... It wouldn't be the first time Fate series has maybe approached that topic, so it doesn't matter. Let's not raise anyway. the rating of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, 
Yeah. But it is kind of sad that in the end, he ends up like losing himself so much to just everything crashing down before him and to the point where he just freaking chokes out the very person he's trying to like save and make happen. That's that's what destroyed me the most about, I think probably out of the show overall, like I thought that that was the most depressing thing was uh, just lo- seeing Karia just like totally slowly go insane yep. and like completely undo by his own doing like everything that he was trying to do. It makes you think that if he was paired with a different servant how that would have changed if he had someone to actually speak and like bounce ideas off of or anything at the very least yeah like like what a different world it would have been if he had gotten like saber or iskandar or something and Mm -hmm. not berserker yeah berserker that they also like put some kind of cheat code on that i don't yeah that was the thing as i wonder if berserker would have been as insane if they hadn't like you said like Add something to the incantation to make him yep. like unhinged or something. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Because that would make because it think... did make him a lot stronger. But oh yeah. <laughs> and um, we haven't even addressed the idea of what a noble phantasm is. It's basically like a like a superpower, I guess. It's, it's like their their, their, their ability. Yeah. yeah. Their bankai. Yeah. Sure. Why not? That's basically um, what it is. Yeah, and his is like he can turn anything into his noble phantasm, and he turns a jet. He turns plane a jet. I loved it. Yes. I loved it. And then later he has like the minigun or whatever, fighting saber in the parking garage. Yes. Yeah, that was great. He just casts <laughs> so a gun. I do say, um, I do love how animation-wise he's portrayed compared to everyone else. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like I guess it's like CG compared mm-hmm. to like everything else just like mm-hmm. how distorted and chaotic it looks yeah, like even mm-hmm. when you first meet him uh earlier on and then the whole fighter jet and like just everything about i'll say i'll it's say very about... similar with caster's tentacles too just like yeah. that difference in art style i think is is that really adds to that vibe i will say like the cg mm-hmm. for being 2011 it's noticeable but it's not egregious like yeah. it yeah. doesn't it doesn't pull me out because I don't immediately notice like, oh god, that's bad CG. Like it, it's it's good. It looks passable. It was definitely one of the first, at least from what I can remember, it was one of the first shows that gained a lot of popularity that had like not terrible CG for the time, yeah, and used a lot of really good like techniques to kind of mask the CG, like. Whenever there's a face-off in a forest with a bunch of casters, tentacle monsters, a lot of them are kind of, like, in shadow and, like, in the background a little bit. So you don't yeah, really, mm-hmm. like, notice every single little thing about them and be like, uh. But it is definitely, like, for the time it was great, but now that it's aged a bit, things stand out a bit more than they maybe did whenever it first came out, you know? Like, mm-hmm. I think but it, to it me- is still a good marvel of, like, visual junk. Absolutely. I was going to say, to me, what stood out most was not a CG faux pas, but it was like a compositing thing. Mm. In the very end where Saber, like after Saber finishes fighting Berserker, she's just standing in that long shot in the parking garage with all the flames around her. And I'm like, all of these flames look like stock footage of flames, just like <laughs> pasted onto this anime. Yeah. And I know that I know that this director of photography kind of prizes himself on kind of doing things that are a little bit more on the realistic end. So that's kind of why Fate Zero and UBW and to a certain extent Demon Slayer kind of have that look. But 
in that particular scene it really stood out i thought which yeah. was just kind of it was just kind of weird to see like this anime scene with this very realistic fire yeah i thought the same thing i was like yeah, that's yeah. not anime that's fire mm-hmm. right and, and but i will say like if if you gave me an episode of fate zero like pretend i was totally blind and had no idea when either of these things came out then why would like, you fate be watching zero, anime <laughs> hey Hey, Dumb. blind people can watch anime. That's sort of, yeah. Anyway, whatever. Um, uh, anyway, if you gave me, like, an episode of Fate Zero at its best and paired it up against, like, an episode of Demon Slayer, I don't know that I could tell you that there was a decade apart. Yeah. I really don't mm-hmm. think that I could because I, I think they both look basically the same. Euphotable yeah. also just, they're just so good, like, all yeah. the time. Well, they have really mastered like... this particular kind of style. Yeah, yeah. No, for sure. and Zero and Unlimited Blade Works really helped um, kind of push that style forward of like adding mm-hmm. in all these different effects and like. What year was uh, UBW? 2014 and okay. 15 was second season. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, and I feel like a lot of other animation companies kind of took that ball and ran with it in their own way. Like, Wit Studio uses some of those similar techniques. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, God. Who yeah, there else? are definitely moments but... in in um, some of Attack on Titan that you can see kind of do a do a similar thing. Yeah, Doro, lots of like Doro, particle Doro, effects and I can never bullshit. say this freaking show's name. Dororo did the same thing as well. Mm, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, not like, to be confused with Dora Hidoro or Durarara. Yeah, yeah, for real. <laughs> but I think those definitely like helped prove that it could be done. Mm-hmm. With a decent budget. Um, but yeah. then there are shows that kind of took that and said, oh, we can slap CG stuff onto it and it'll look mm. cool and ran with it in the wrong direction, like Handshakers. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I'll never forget. I'll never forget. Visually stimulating. Austin and I yeah. sat down to like kind of sample the anime of the season one year and we get to Handshakers. And we were both so. looking at each other like, this is real. Like somebody mm-hmm. made this. A blessing and I... a curse, really. <laughs> but yeah, the anime gods smile and the anime gods frown. <laughs> <laughs> the it's anime gods meme. giveth, the anime gods taketh the hell away. It's right. that that meme of the guy on the bus and <laughs> like the happy sides like CGI and in fate, and it's the sad sides like CGI and yes. handshakers. Ah, <laughs> 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 oh, that's great. Gosh, too many memes in this episode. <laughs> For real though. <laughs> say and I, I mentioned this um off the podcast but one thing that i did notice re-watching it this time that i don't think really stood out to me as much the first time i watched it was um it kind of and maybe you guys picked up on this maybe you guys did and if you feel differently please say so but i thought that 
generally speaking, some of the female characters in this show could have been done a little bit better. And I say that in the sense of, like, I really love all the ladies in this show. I think they're all really great. But, like, Mm -hmm. Iris Veal, for example, is basically her entire identity is founded and sort of defined by Kiritsuku. And um, likewise with um, Elle Malloy's wife. Like, she is... um, Oh, very... especially, I think she was the flattest of the. I didn't. Ca- I did not characters. care when she died. Yeah. Yeah, it was. It was unfortunate, and um, I thought you know Maya was a bit in the same vein as Iris Field. It's like her entire existence was basically defined by Kiritsugu. Yes, but she was and... a strong female character. Well, well, here's the thing. I'm getting in. I'm getting to that. I'm. I'm more concerned about like not um capability but like perspective yes and like them being able to define themselves and i think saber is the character that defines herself on her own terms the most in this show yeah Um, because she's basically a man yeah yeah which which is kind of which kind of sucks doesn't it (laughs) yeah a little bit that that does kind of suck it's like the reason that she might be like that is because oh that she's you know played as a man for this whole time so So of course she has complex motivations and emotions that that her that are her own and not defined by the other men in her life yeah um and so i didn't really i didn't really appreciate that and that to me that that might just ring true i don't i don't think urobuchi is necessarily like a raging um like misogynist or whatever but it does it does seem like the implications of some of the relationships that the female characters in the show have with other people and how their roles are defined are a little bit less than ideal um and plus like a lot of the women characters in the show just get treated so badly Um. like iris veal is like constantly being beaten up on she's like strangled to death basically likewise with aoi it's like she's strangled to death um was she i thought she was shot aoi no she sorry not aoi never mind never mind okay okay yeah yeah, she she didn't die but she's basically put in a a little bit yeah brain dead state brain deaded um and i don't know that just that just stood out to me and gave me like a bit of a bad taste in my mouth this time around I like, kind of what, what, what do you guys too. think of that? Yeah, because just like I think you said it very well about how any sort of the female characters that do, they're kind of just wholly defined by their male counterpart, like Maya, for example. Like Jesus it's mentioned Christ towards the end how like yeah, how like she was was brought in as a younger child by Kiritsugu, just like how he was back then. So like her whole personality is really just like how he was when he was younger. And, like, even towards the beginning, I kind of found it weird how she was, like, being a little bit more romantic towards him, towards, like, the beginning of season one. Mm-hmm. And it like, was, like, like, she, really like, kiss him on the mouth? She does. Yeah, and, like, yeah, the she first did. scene she's in. And it's like, okay, I get it, but it just felt like that her whole purpose and existence was really just for Kiritsugu's purposes, and, like, he didn't show much emotion towards her, really. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I kind of wish that you were more of your own character, same with Kenneth's wife, how, like, he or she only shows up for, like, a little bit and doesn't really do much except kind of has a thing for Lancer, which kind of 
doesn't really do anything for her character and then loses just a hand flat yeah, yeah gets her and then shot. Dies. <laughs> yeah and like uraberchi can write like in his other works he's written like well female characters i would say i mean like, i did think they were i did think one. they were good characters and they were interesting and i liked them but like now that you do yeah. mention it you are right yeah. mm-hmm. and i do appreciate yeah. though that like um even though maya and iris Bale, uh were in a way romantic rivals they weren't really and they kind of maya did a a lot to support uh iri um Mm -hmm. so they kind of they they definitely still had a really interesting and complicated relationship but i think austin did have a very good point that like for the two of them a lot of their motivation was kind of defined by Kiritsugu, which maybe that means he's the main character, I guess. I <laughs> what? But, <laughs> no. But I mean, it is still like, that's not an excuse to like not have more. I don't know. It's tough. Writing, writing is hard, guys. Writing is hard. <laughs> oh, for sure. And again, you but, know, I mean, Urubuchi wrote this like over 15 years ago, so it probably doesn't have the best, you know, like well-rounded like yeah. gender dynamics. I'm, and things I'm sure like that. he and learned I'm, a lot of lessons from it, you know? Yeah. And I'm not trying to be too down on it. It's just something that oh, stood sure. out to me this time um, that I wanted to point out because yeah, it, it and, does kind of stand out. Yeah. And it's a pretty fair like argument either way. I feel like, I feel like you could go either way with it. You could say like, well, they're pretty like interesting, complex characters, but also they are kind of like, my brain wants to say planularly, and I don't think that's a word, but planularly motivated, <laughs> like, like very 2D motivated. <laughs> that's a great word. Um, but Planularly, like P-L-A-N-E, not P-L-A-I-N, right? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they all went in a plane, and then it got shot by a bazooka. Uh, <laughs> Berserker's plane. Yeah. Oh, fuck. That's, that's my... Okay, wait. Can we talk about favorite moments and scenes, though? Because... I think that's one of my favorite moments almost in mm-hmm. all of anime is just freaking berserker and armored knight taking over a freaking <laughs> like yes. fighter jet mm-hmm. and just yeah. flying it's around. Pretty incredible. He's yeah. just like, I am now plain. Yes. It's my favorite thing. <laughs> yeah. That was well, I guess great. to go back to the ladies really fast. I mean, okay. I do think saber saber to me, like 100% is like the most com- complex female character in the show because like, she she does not um she does not girl boss herself into the sun um which is great you know that's good uh, yeah she could have done uh, that <laughs> it's true um and i think saber's really interesting because she's like very powerful very wise but also like has this like she has this developing sort of self-consciousness throughout the show it's like she starts to question like her own ways of ruling things especially when confronted with these very bullheaded dudes like um mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. like iskandar and uh gilgamesh yeah who say like there's only one way to rule and you have to do it like this and you have to be like a you know a, a meathead about it uh yeah. with no flexibility and you see that she like um she has a little bit of apprehension towards that but it also kind of shakes her a little bit about like well maybe i did do something wrong and i think having that that tinge of self-consciousness is like a form of wisdom in its own way um and she was like aware of how like maybe her actions could have affected lance a lot 
Um, but in the end, I don't really think she had much to do with that. Like, it sounds like that was totally a Lancelot thing and it wasn't her fault. It was his problem that he was trying to work through, wasn't allowed to work through it. And then also was cast, was like brought into this world incorrectly. So he was just an angry boy. Exactly. So I think that maybe she blames herself a little bit too much for what happened with Lancelot. Um, which, you know, that's it's something that some of us do from time to time. Um, I- yeah, that's Go definitely ahead. going a little bit ahead here, but one of my one of my two favorite scenes or scenes or bits from the show is that meeting of kings when yes. they're talking about what it means to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I like kind that. of just like how you said, it's really about how the way that King Arthur led, more so about mm-hmm. like the idea, the honor chivalry, more so than leading or being led by someone because you admire them as an individual or admire their strength. Mm-hmm. And it is very more of a, a selfish way of being a leader from like uh, Iskander or Gilgamesh's point of view, but Saber still struggles with that idea because it's, I guess, harder to get people to follow you based on an idea rather than following you as an individual. Mm-hmm. And she does have a lot of that self doubt. Like she like mentions about how she knows when she's going to be like pulling the sword from the stone. This massive responsibility for her country she has. But still, she struggles with those doubts as trying to lead people for that idea. Mm-hmm. It was interesting right. also because that was kind of touched upon again with Lancelot, where you heard his inner monologue at the end. And he's like, I felt terrible for stealing your wife and I wanted to I wanted you to punish me for it, but you didn't. And she was like, should I have instead of just being like, nah, it's all good. Like bygones be bygones <laughs> and whatnot. Also, King Arthur, canon lesbian. Yeah, right? Confirmed. So there is a lot to say about this show and probably a lot more we could say, but I think we've covered a huge portion of at least what we could talk about. But I guess going into the the final final stretch here, uh, what do you guys what are some of you guys' favorite moments like from the show overall? Um, Will, I'm going to pick on you. You go first. It, okay. So I did uh, briefly mention already, but in terms of my favorite moments, there's really two that stand out to me. One of it's more of like a plot centric moment. The other one's more of like a writing centric moment um, for plot focused by the thing that I think of the most when I look back on this show is the culmination of Saber and Lancer's duel. They both come from this place of high honor and high respect, and there's so many different moments in the show especially in the first season where they like help each other out or do things for each other save them from certain situations and just seeing the culmination of that duel just get ruined by kiritsugu and his methods for how he essentially gets things done that like completely broke me when i was watching that for the first time because like when lancer has to you know to himself and Mm -hmm. like he's like cursing everyone for going against honor and like i'll see you in hell and like it's just like Saber's face, it's just like kills me every time. Cause like also, this is the first time that Irisville gets to see how Kiritsugu really like does his stuff and how 
cunning and dangerous he is mm-hmm. just like as a turning point from the show just a lot happened in that and it's also the only instance that saber and kurtzku really get to have a talk about ideals for like 30 seconds before he drives away but <laughs> that still is one of my favorite moments just plot wise of the show and then real quick going back to talking about like from the the writing standpoint the meeting with the king of kings when they're all drinking and like lancer i'm sorry not lancer um gilgamesh iskander and saber are all just talking about what it means to be a leader and their definitions of like leadership and if how they succeeded in life if they did or did not just adds a lot of really interesting perspective from the ages that they're from and what it means to them to be like a true king i had totally a lot of that yeah i had totally forgotten about that entire sequence like but watching it this time yeah that was it was so good because that conversation stays with Saber for the whole rest of the show, even up through the, all the mm-hmm. stuff with Lancelot about like, did did she fail? Was she actually a good leader? Like hearing this from like Alexander the Great and Gilgamesh, like that really affects her, and it's just it just adds so much to their like decisions that they make and how it carries them for, through the end of the show. Sarah. Um. Okay. Definitely. Lancer on a plane. Or Berserker on a plane. I don't know why I want to call Lancelot a Lancer. Oh, wait. Yes. Lancer. Um, <laughs> G.I. Wonder. No, I say it out loud. Um, definitely that. And the first time that you see um, Saber's that noble phantasm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thank you. You got that in real time, exclusively on Third Impact Anime. You're welcome. Um, but, yeah. Uh, also, that the part of the fight where you get to see saber's noble phantasm for the first time is just mystical and amazing um that was gonna be mine oh well you can you can it can still be yours we can share um thank you thank you i appreciate that (laughs) you can't share Uh, i feel like a lot of the like philosophical discussions between gilgamesh and kotomine and the like church basement or wherever the hell it is that they meet is it the church basement or like tosaka's basement i never really i think it was tosaka's Tosaka's basement basement. yeah 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 Mm -hmm. um i feel like a lot of those just kind of stick out of my head whenever i think about fate zero as a series of just like maybe because they happen so often (laughs) but um because there's a lot of really weird important stuff that they talk about about like well, maybe you care about Kamiya so much, not just because you're trying to like look into the situation, but because part of you like is rooting for him in some way. Hmm. Anyway, um, it's just like little things like that that are interesting. And, and that also, basement does come up. That basement comes up a lot too in uh, yeah. Unlimited Blade Works. Yeah. Did it? True. Yeah, they go. The Reen, Reen goes to hang out there and learn magic stuff from time to time. I don't really, um, I don't really remember Sakura being a big part of Unlimited Blade Works because she's not relevant. No, I said. Until he- I said Reen. The other one. Rin. It's late. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's all good. <laughs> uh, oh yeah. Also, whenever Maya and Irisvale are in the car driving away towards the end of Irisvale's life, like before they go back to the safe house, and then she gets kidnapped, and then twenty other things happen. Um... <laughs> <laughs> but they have a really so, nice conversation that's like I'm dying oh shit does Kitsugu know yeah he fucking knows oh okay cool alright cool I'm gonna leave shit to you alright cool I maybe got it I don't know dude but yeah I think that conversation is really uh, a good example of how romantic rivals can still be like 
not shitty to each other thumbs mm, up correct um but yeah i think those are most of mine mm-hmm. i think yeah, for who, me who next i think for me the one scene that still stands out to me um anytime i think about this is the first standoff between lancer and saber in the um the warehouse mostly because just that was like a really good sequence i really enjoyed it and then everybody just slowly starts getting introduced and then all of a sudden you have a battle going on with five servants and it was really cool mm-hmm. like i just really enjoyed that sequence and yeah I, I enjoyed the uh the parlay of the kings and obviously uh lancelot is a jet um <laughs> but yeah um Probably the biggest standout, like, from having rewatched it is the Rin episode, though. Like, I totally blocked that out. And then mm-hmm. this time, I remembered not liking it. But now I'm just like, oh, now that I know who Rin is, like, I am all for that episode. Like, I loved it. It was so good. It feels like a diversion without the context later on. Definitely. But it, it adds a lot. and. Mm-hmm. I feel like, well, Sarah, you could probably attest to this. I'm sure since you watched Unlimited Blade Works first, you probably liked that episode from the get-go. Oh, yeah, yeah. If I hadn't been definitely re-watching it, I would have been like, oh, my God, yeah. Yeah, um, right, but, right. Yeah, I feel like that. And then also just in general, I don't know how to describe it, but, like, seeing little things like that and, like, Sakura and her whole fate um, kind of helps establish them more in your brain i don't know i don't yes. know how to describe it like you care about them more when you've mm-hmm. seen some other form of fate stay night definitely um but then I it's remember... hard to recommend people to watch that one first because <laughs> then you know the ending to the oh know. we'll talk about it yeah. i remember i was like very confused with the whole context of sakura as well because obviously i knew it was leading somewhere but then I watched Unlimited Blade Works and Sakura was like a side character. And I'm like, why the heck did they like torture this poor girl? Um, you know, if she wasn't going to do anything in the next series. And then somebody was like, wait. And then I found out about Heaven's Feel and, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, for me, I'm going to pick two, I guess, just to keep it brief. Most of you guys took all the really good ones, but... uh. I think whenever I'm thinking about this show, the scene that comes to mind, like, the quickest is just the scene where Kiritsugu and Iris Feel are in the very blue church at nighttime, and they summon Saber for the first time yeah. Uh, yeah. in the very first episode, which is, like, an hour long. Um, that's just a very... episode. It's, yeah, it's just, like, a very iconic scene. It's, like, your first introduction to Saber here in this context, um, and I just really like that. And another one that just breaks my heart, absolutely breaks my heart, and hurt me very hard this time around was um, Karia's vision of what mm. would have happened if he had succeeded. Yeah. Or what in his mind would have happened if he had succeeded. Yep. Um, where he brings Sakura to Reen and Aoi's there, and everybody's happy, and then he dies, and it's very sad. Yeah. Um, he deserved so, better. Yeah. Well, I don't know. He was very complicated. Um, 
But anyway, I guess uh, in in final wrap up. So we we do have to ask this question. This is a very important question. I know Will has been you know on the edge of his seat this whole time. So <laughs> episode. Um, hold on. Opening one or opening two? This is the battle of Lisa versus Calafina. What 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 do we think, guys? What do we think here? Who's starting? Will get it out of your system. Calafina. Uh, to the beginning is one of my favorite openings ever. It's so good. I love that opening so much. <laughs> I think I think I have to be on your team too. It's it's so emotional and it's so like like deep and I I love songs that have like vocals that are like multiple vocals at the same time and even like the visuals with it because like it focuses the OP focuses on so many of the the characters and like what's going on at that point of the show. It's just, mm. it's, I think it's a very well-crafted song, but also a very well-crafted OP that matches with the music. And that's not to say anything bad about Lisa, because Lisa is already a legend, but, like, To the Beginning is, like, in this OP, rather, is, like, probably, like, a top five opening for me, personally. Mm. Sarah, go ahead. It's really hard, because they're both good. Um, I'm gonna have to, okay, I'm, if I'm picking a team... For right now, I'm gonna have to be Team Lisa because Calafina doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> so on a no. it hurts, but it's uh, true. yeah. <laughs> um, but also like ultimately, I think Imer will always have like Brave Shine will always be my Ooh. favorite like fate <laughs> opening or ending out of all of them ever. Lisa and <laughs> Calafina the... can do whatever they want, but avoid avoid the question by saying Imer. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Correct. All right, so I can actually pick. They're both good. Yeah, I can pick. So Calafina is an incredible group. Madoka Magica and this soundtrack and like anything (laughs) else that they touch, just like so perfect. And like the ending two, that's them as well, right? Ending two. No, no. Okay, they they did an ending for. UBW, I think. Maybe. I think um, that sounds right. Either way, um, <laughs> any of their music is just incredible. I love everything Califina. But <gasps> Oath Signed by Lisa is not in my top five. It is top one. It is Whoa. my favorite anime opening of all time. I love the song. I love the visuals. Mostly because the first time I was watching it, I was like, oh, look at these pretty visuals. And then I got my heart stomped on. (laughs) So, like, I didn't know. But also, I just, that is my favorite opening of all time. Wow. It's it's an even tie. No, wait. Is it? Sarah technically didn't choose, but she did say I technically didn't pick. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) Both openings are fantastic. They are. Yeah. They That's really true. are. That's, we're all winners in the end, really. Yes. That's true.
Alright, so we did get a couple of questions, and actually most of them we've already answered throughout the course of the conversation, but one of them that stood out from our friend Rebel Robo from the Awesome Cast is, if you'd got stuck in a Grail War, what mythical or historical figure do you think you'd summon? Oh gosh, I'm trying to think. Um, I would probably... Figure? I would probably summon Odysseus. <laughs> Ooh, that's okay. a good one. Because he, he's... Uh, I love the Odyssey and I love the Iliad and he's he's a good guy with a bow and I love me a good bow so mm. yeah I like bows too does Robin Hood count I know he's not a real real person but he's in there yeah uh, yeah Robin Hood yeah. Robin Hood is a yeah yeah Robin Hood would be cool also um gosh um Maybe Jonah. That'd be sick. Like, he could fight with a whale. <laughs> oh, like, the best noble phantasm. His noble phantasm. <laughs> he's, he summons a whale, like, child from Genshin Impact. <laughs> yeah. He's Yo. just like, oh, yeah, you have a sword? Whale. Yeah, that that's mine. It's it's. I'm going biblical. It's Jonah okay. with a whale. I mean, I don't know how he would fight otherwise. <laughs> it might be like fighting an ant with a nuke. But, um... Didn't he, like, have know, a, a stick whale. or something? Sure, why not? People walked with sticks back then. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I feel like that's a thing. So, yep. I would hope that I would summon Saber or any sort of Saber face character. But, you would. Uh, I also think it would be great because, you know, I, uh, uh, I'm i a big American history kind of guy. So, I think it'd be interesting to get a more modern hero, maybe like Abraham Lincoln. Mm. <laughs> I was actually was thinking General Patton. A pugilist. I, was yeah, actually, he, yeah, I was thinking General Patton. <laughs> Lincoln was historically a pugilist and loved the wrestle. I think he could, you know, probably take a tussle or two. Hmm. Yeah. yeah. Well, like, just think, like, George, or whatever, John Patton, whatever his first name is. George Patton. George Patton. George. Yeah. World War II Patton, the five-star general guy. He would be, like, the ultimate archer class because it would be, like, a tank. <laughs> would that be a rider, though, if it's a tank? Hmm. Ooh, that's a either, that's either a conundrum. The question. <laughs> either way, either way, he's coming back as a little girl. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's just that's just how fate works. No, that that is absolutely how fate works. <laughs> <laughs> so instead of George S. Patton, it would be Georgia S. Patton. <laughs> Sarah, I I would probably just end up doing somebody who's like shafted me in fate grand order <laughs> and just trying to summon them in the real world so like uh so you could tell them off y well no just so that then i could have them <laughs> oh I see. oh you mean so you, ones you haven't been able to pull yeah uh-huh i thought you meant a unit i thought you meant a unit that failed you <laughs> no no just ones that uh I can't have in the game without spending exorbitant amounts of money, which unfortunately yeah. I am financially competent, so I don't dump too much that's, money into that's <laughs> good. That's good. That's your wish for the Grail is to get good pulls. Yep, <laughs> good gotcha luck. That's my wish. I think I do okay, to get okay. a better either, luck stat. Yeah. Okay. Either uh, Demon King Nobu. They're cool as hell, or uh, Musashi, any Musashi. Oh, yeah, because yeah. she's super cool looking. I think she's also kind of a saber face a little bit, but yeah. not too much. Yeah, yeah. but one of one of Dems, Dems good. Yeah. And the final question, I think we could go into different in some different ways for this. Um, 
so is is zero where people should start if they want to get into the fate series i'm i'm a little bit torn on the answer to this question are there um, any of us that started with stay night yes like og stay yes sarah okay but I'm going to be honest, by the time Unlimited Blade Works, or, okay, I didn't watch Zero or Unlimited Blade Works until, like, years after they had come out, so then I watched them in flipped order, too, uh-huh. and by the time I watched Unlimited Blade Works, I had forgotten the majority of what happens in gotcha. Fate Stay Night 06, but, yeah, 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 so, I mean, I guess I'll tell my perspective, like, from my perspective, I've kind of said it already, but it's just, like, there are definitely things in Zero that make more sense once you've seen Unlimited Blade Works. But because you already kind of know how it ends, you kind of have to be wanting to experience the journey rather than anticipating the destination of the series. And right. if you feel like mm. you're cool with that, then definitely maybe go for Unlimited Blade Works first. But I feel like it could honestly be either one. Yeah, I don't, I really don't know. Like, Zero is a good place to start because then you have context for when you watch Unlimited Blade Works. Yeah. But also you miss out on some of the nuances that also come when you watch a prequel. Yeah. yeah. My my um I think my recommendation would be contextual on how interested someone is. Like if you're really interested in fate, like you're and you watch watch a lot of anime and you've got a lot of patience, maybe watch unlimited blade works and then zero but i think if you're looking to just pick one of them i think i think maybe picking zero would be the better way to go because at least in my personal opinion i think it's the better show like i think zero is just a little bit better than unlimited blade works Mm. because i think it has a more interesting story and more interesting characters and you don't have uh, um, Archer screaming unlimited blade works like 40 billion times and me still not knowing what it means. I am the bone of my sword. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I am the bone of my sword, exactly. Yeah. Um, oh, bone. And, like, they're kind of different stories. Like, Fate oh, Zero yeah. is like a, a dark drama, whereas Unlimited Blade Works is more of like a traditional sort of like action show. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah. it has some hard drama in it and i know you also like, definitely is a lot more serious but yeah you also definitely don't root for everybody in a stay night like that is the biggest advantage of zero is the care you like most of the characters like yeah um, which unlimited is very blade unfortunate works, cause yeah because <laughs> they all you die. know there can only be one <laughs> yeah. but like unlimited blade works i really there were some like extra characters that i liked but like for the most part like i didn't care about half of the summons or like their masters mm. yeah like their their teacher or, or whoever that gets in the grail war i just didn't care for him at all like at all mm. like, yeah he's I so agree. forgettable yeah and also the I fact think... that kire turned out to be like lancer's master and i'm just like yeah i knew he was eventually gonna do this because i watched zero like i feel like okay actually that's a point for watching unlimited blade works first is you don't know care uh Kira uh, is a shit heel at first so like when he actually reveals like haha i am lancer's master it's like oh actually shocking probably maybe mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i'm a bit yeah. biased because fate zero is like probably in my top 10 favorite anime mm-hmm. um but I do think that in a lot of ways, state like uh, Unlimited Blade Works is a little bit more easier to recommend slash accessible. Mm-hmm. I think Austin said it very well because like Zero is a lot more darker, grittier, whereas 
Unlimited Blade Works is a little bit more like a little bit more lighthearted. It's a little bit of a more traditional hero story in a way. Um, I do think that Zero does a great job at explaining how the Holy Grail War works. Yeah, I know oh, yeah. people get confused on the whole like info dump like episode yeah. one of like when they're explaining the Kira like okay so these are these are servants these are what masters are and it's like a lot of terminology at you at once but I think legitimately I, I haven't seen Unlimited Blade Works in a while but I think that Zero does a really good job at explaining just how the world works and reminding you too because yes. they they keep bringing it up but I feel like unlimited blade works kind of gets bogged down in like the uh the anime-ness of it all and sometimes sometimes it gets way too focused on like the the kids doing stuff and like i don't i don't dislike that i i really like the cast of shiro reen saber sakura yeah etc except shinji for him (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's um, the whole thing because like zero is definitely a more adult story with adult characters and i think Mm -hmm. if that's something you're more drawn to Zero is the one. Yeah. Yeah. Zero but is a boy identity movie and unlimited... Hmm? I did have to give the beginning of Zero two tries because of that problem. However, mm, yeah. once I finally got it, I was like, okay, got it, good, I know what's going on now. Like, I got, like, three episodes in and I was just like, I am so lost. And I think I told you that. And you told me, like, start over. It, it, it's a lot, but once you get it, you'll you'll get it and then yeah mm. that was correct yeah i also feel like what the, were you gonna say sarah oh i was gonna say okay so like fate zero is like a born identity movie with some magic sprinkled in and then unlimited blade works is like peak high school kid fantasy <laughs> kind of thing so it just kind it's of very... depends on who's asking for like what you think yeah. will hook them to that's true very true um but also what was the other thing that i was gonna say in response to why in i don't remember just throw it all out the window and watch um uh today's menu for emia family yes yeah. i'm gonna go do that now to like heal my soul after re-watching yeah. fate zero just, yeah, just just bring a couple this is the only acceptable situation in what you watch it's fate also Ilya. Oh, oh, okay. Well, <laughs> I could try that. I do like mad. I don't know. I feel actually... like you would like that. Austin, I know, has like a tirade about that show. <laughs> there's actually, bad. there's a quick story I want to tell because it's very funny. Um, I think I know where you're going. Yeah, you know, where, you know where I'm going with this, but our listeners don't. So <laughs> it's a good story. Austin and I went to triad about like, what, like seven years ago at this point. This is quite a while. It was ago. a long time ago. And I had just finished watching Fate Zero, and I was go- I was kind of diving into Fate. I think I actually finished Stay Night by this point. And so I see Fate, like, Halid or whatever it's called. And I message Austin. I'm like, hey, is this one worth it? He messages me in all caps, Brick, no. <laughs> <laughs> so I was just like, oh, okay. And so then I found it's like, you know, some magical girl show. And I was like, okay, fine, whatever. And then... Austin goes to a panel that's like a game show at Triad and he wins and we're all happy for Austin. Guess what his prize was? Oh. It was the DVD of that show and I've never <laughs> seen him just look like so perturbed like yes I won but at what cost? <laughs> that's kind of how I felt at the time. I was like wow I won but did I? Yeah. <laughs> what did you and, ever and do with that say, thing? 
I, I, I sold it a while ago. Um, gotcha. <laughs> I think the I think the idea of Fate Elia or whatever it's called is kind of neat, like a magical girl spin on the Fate universe. But like, I can't get behind the like the the leering at little girls stuff. It's just not yeah. not for me. Not yeah. for understandable people. I think it was just supposed to be like a cute little show that like they were doing, you know, cute little show things. Uh huh. Mm hmm. <laughs> I don't. I'm not mm-hmm. saying. I'm not defending anyway. it. But I think that was the idea. <laughs> oh, I know. Of it. I, I know. Yeah. I know. Anyway, I, I I approach you in good faith. Yeah. Um. <laughs> um. But uh. I yeah. Just just to top off the end of our conversation here, I think the answer to where should you start in Fate Stay Night really depends on what you're up for. I think we can all sort of agree that like Fate 06 is kind of skippable. You know, you don't mm-hmm. have to watch it. It's It doesn't hold up as well. If you're going to be a completionist about it, maybe check it out later. But I don't think it's really essential viewing. Yeah. Um, and just depending on how much you want to suffer, start with either Zero or Unlimited Blade Works. Unlimited Blade um, Works, and you once, will suffer less. You will suffer mm-hmm. less. Um, but there's there's they're still very connected, so you're probably going to watch both. And once Heaven's Feel is more available, and I can't really speak to it because I've only seen the first movie, um, to well, I don't want to get too far on this conversation, but to me, Heaven's Feel like feels like a better sequel to Fate Zero from what I've seen, because they actually address a lot of the things with Sakura that yes. are set up in Zero, whereas in the other two, they kind of don't. It, she's very much a side character. Yes. Well, those are based on Sakura's route in the VN. Yeah. Correct. Right exactly i will say actually like after watching this again i kind of did get the fate bug so i went and looked up like (laughs) where i could find the third movie because i watched caria (laughs) (laughs) damn it austin um (laughs) i i did i do want to finally finish heaven's feel because the first two movies are really good they're really good but also pandemic kind of put a damper on the third one coming Mm -hmm. out in a timely manner so oh, yeah that was the unfortunate thing because the first one came out in like 2017 so it's been a minute mm-hmm. yeah but i i do i do think like relatively soon i'm probably gonna go ahead and finish that off mm-hmm. nice all right folks any final words on fate zero it's good it's good i was gonna say i have zero interest in this but that's like not true but that would have been a good fun <laughs> <laughs> You have zero qualms about saying it's a good show. Yeah, there you go. Yay. I fixed it for you. Thank you. Um, Well, thank you, listeners, for sticking this one out with us for yet another fabulous episode of us talking about anime from 2011. Uh, Maybe next year, in 2022, we'll be talking about anime from 2012, which you guys know what that means. We'll do a Sword Art Online episode. Oh, God, why? Uh, unironically i would do that yeah (laughs) i feel like given that i have a panel like entirely based around it i kind of have to i mean it's not impossible but it's not likely either yeah Uh, also i'm like i'm having a mini existential crisis right now because i just realized it's been 10 years since 2011 and that's when i graduated high school yep nice i'm I'm an old man now (laughs) aren't we all yes yes Especially well, thank low. you guys again so much for joining me for this episode. It's always a pleasure to have you all on. And uh, Will, where can people connect with you on the internet? Yeah, you can connect with me most frequently on Twitter 
at swoosh x bear. Uh, I also, in my spare time, upload video game reviews on my YouTube channel, uh, where I recently covered Metroid Dread, and we'll have a new video up uh, at the beginning or half or sometime in January. Stay tuned. Where can people connect with you, Sarah? Um, my main place is probably Twitter uh, at uniquexharmony. Um, I yell about idle stuff, and there is a rumored English version of Ensemble Stars coming out soon that I might be talking about a lot more and maybe doing some videos on or something. I don't know. It depends on what they release. But yeah, that's my plans. If you don't do that, I will be very personally upset. Understood. I'll do it just for you, Austin. I promise. Thank you. I've been waiting. (laughs) And Ryan, where can people talk to you? Uh, Well, you can't talk to me because that's illegal. But uh, you can follow me on Twitter at MidshelfRyan. Uh, I also have a gaming channel with Will and Edwin called Midshelf Gaming. And if we ever decide to make another episode, that's where you can find us. And uh, yeah, that's about it for me. And for me, you can connect with me over on Twitter as well at BebopShock. And you can connect with the podcast overall on the brand Twitter, which is at TI underscore anime. You can also find a bunch of information about all the shows that we've done previously over on our website, thirdimpactanime.com. You can also subscribe to the podcast wherever it is that you're listening to it right now and on basically all other podcast feeds that you can think of. Um, If you'd like to support the show financially, boy, would we really appreciate it. It helps keep the likes on... it helps keep the lights on over here, and it just makes us really happy. You can check us out on Patreon, and that's patreon.com slash thirdimpactanime. We're also on YouTube. We upload most of our episodes over there as well. And, uh, yeah, uh, again, guys, it's been a lot of fun talking about this very depressing show, and uh, hopefully <laughs> we'll be back soon with another episode. And this, uh, I forgot to mention this at the top of the show, but you guys do know that this is our Christmas special, right? exactly the reason why it's our christmas special is because a there's a lot of snow in this anime and b uh padaru so what else do you what else do you need you know Uh, our outro has to be padaru now oh it's going to be it's going to be (laughs) all right folks listening at home we will talk to you again soon stay cool and have a merry christmas Hashi